It's a positive film. It has heroes and villains, and uh, that it essentially uh, is a fun movie to watch. It's been a long time since people have been able to go to the movies and see a sort of straightforward, wholesome, fun adventure. Well, it's a fantasy. It's not science fiction so much as it is space fantasy, and it's about people. It's about. It's finally about people and not finally about science. The story, when you actually put it into words, is only so much nonsense to hang a great visual experience onto. It's the stuff that fairy tales are made of. Sort of boiling down religion into a very basic concept: uh, the fact that there is some deity or some power or some force. That sort of controls our destiny,、uh, works for good and also works for evil. Marvelous, healthy innocence, great pace, wonderful to look at, full of guts, nothing unpleasant. I mean, people go bang bang and people fall over and are dead, but you know, no horrors. A sort of wonderful freshness about it, a kind of like a wonderful fresh air. It's got whatever you want it to be. It's a, it's pure entertainment. It's like a roller coaster ride, and it can be interpreted as long as you enjoy it, which is the intention. Welcome back to Generation Skywalker for our latest show, where we're going to take a look at the book of Boba Fett, and、uh, we wanted to know which ones wanted to be in on tonight's show. So、uh, these are the people that were keen to do it. We've got Mark with us. Good evening, Mark. Good evening. We've got Craig with us. Good evening, Craig. Good evening. I've got Grant with me. Good evening, Grant. Wizard. <laughs> got Jez with me. Good evening, Jez. Good evening. And I got Dan with us. Good evening, Dan. Good evening, everyone. Full House. This is the second time in recent weeks we've、uh, had a Full House. We have had a Full House before, haven't we? Twice before. Yeah. We say the beer show, and then we did the was it the far, no the last Modern Way. I think we had a Full House. Yeah.、Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, lovely, lovely to see you all, boys. Um, although we have been churning out shows, it has been a little while since we recorded. So nice to get together. Now, what I will say to people listening, if you haven't watched the Book of Boba Fett and you are going to, big spoiler warnings. This show is probably going to be round with spoilers. Well, it is going to be round with spoilers, not likely.、Um, so, either listen on and ruin it for yourself, or go and watch the shows first. I am not a bounty hunter. I've heard otherwise. I know that you sit on the throne of your former employer. Jabba ruled with fear. I intend to rule with respect. You were all once captains under Jabba the Hutt. I'm here to make a proposal that's mutually beneficial. 
speak of conflict when cooperation can make us all rich. What prevents us all from killing you and taking what we want? If you had spoken such insolence to Java, he'd have fed you to his menagerie. Please, speak freely. So like The Mandalorian, this is set five years after Return of the Jedi. Am I right in that? Uh, yep, absolutely. Yeah, it must yeah. be, because it's, it's, um, it's in parallel with... with the Mando, right. Yeah. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through the show, episode by episode, and uh, we'll dissect each episode because we're introduced to old and new characters, creatures, locations. We've had some huge fan service. We've had nods to other movies. And ultimately, we want to discuss the storyline. Also, whilst the show is running, Grant has been uh, doing a poll on We Are Generation Skywalker. Um, so it'd be great to get an understanding of what the Generation Skywalker community thought of each episode, Grant, where they sat it, because I know there was uh, some real mixed reviews with the different episodes. So I'll call on you at the end of each episode to give that information. So, boys, straight away then, let's go into episode one, uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. The length of the shows was quite interesting to start with. This one was 38 minutes long. They've been really, really varied. First broadcast, 29th of December last year and directed by Robert Rodriguez. So, Dan, can you just give us a quick overview of Stranger in a Strange Land? Yes, so it opens up with Boba in, I suppose, what we're going to call present time. He's in Jabba's palace, he's in the back to tank, and he's dreaming. We see flashes of his childhood, so we actually see Camino and we see the uh, Geonosis battle arena. Then it jumps to Boba Fett in the Sarlacc, and we finally get to see him escape the Sarlacc, get stripped of his armour by Jawas, captured by sand people and dragged through the desert we start to see him forming a bond with the tuscans and then yeah he uh, he fights a big beast in the sand i don't think that's got a name is it it's just uh, a four-legged creature with two arms i did find the name out of that. oh vicious six-legged beast it says on disney plus the harry Housen. yeah it was the sand kraken yeah <laughs> So he, he fights the sand creature, defeats it, goes back to the uh, the Tuscan camp with the head. There's a young, uh, the child sand person's got the head. They're all celebrating. But I think the, uh, what's he called, the elder of the Tuscan raiders know that um, Boba Fett did all the hard work and gives him a, a black melon, I think they're called. And then, yeah, in present time, we see Boba holding court in Jabba's palace. People are coming in and giving him tributes. The Major Domo comes in, isn't willing to hand any tribute over. In fact, says that Boba Fett should pay them. So with that, he, he makes a trip into Mos Espa to visit uh, the nightclub there. And yeah, on the way out, gets attacked by a bunch of assassins. His Gamorrean guards come in and, and, and to rescue him. Um, they take out most of them. Fennec Shan gives chase to a couple. We get some parkour scenes on rooftops. And yeah, she kicks one off the roof and uh, takes one prisoner. And that's that's pretty much where the episode ends. OK. <laughs> um, yeah, so boys, first episode. I mean, waited long enough for this. What, what were all your early opinions? I really liked it. I thought it was a strong start. The only thing that really sort of bothered me, if if I can say it bothered me, was the bit where Fat crawls out of the sand. He looked very chunky when he came out of the sand. Now, Boba Fett, as I remember him, is quite a lithe, slim build fellow. And I didn't really understand why they didn't just use a, 
a body double for that bit because he kept his helmet on. It just took me out of the of the whole thing. I wanted to immerse myself in it. You know, I was, I've been waiting for this for a while and I was really ready for it. And um, yeah, it just sort of took me out. I don't know whether anybody else picked up on that. I, I think for an opener, it was really good. I think there's some stuff that happened in this episode that gets repeated a number of times through the first three or four episodes that I'll, I'll probably comment more on as we go through. But for a start, I thought it was it was really good and definitely left me wanting more. There was there was so much. I mean, a lot of people um, were were um, complaining online about the parkour scenes at the end with Fennec Shan chasing those two guys across the roof. But I, I watched I've watched the first four episodes again for this. And, and when you see the detail that goes on in the streets below the amount of you know how it's populated with people just walking up and down those little alleys you just realize the amount of effort and detail that's gone into this i just thought it was it was really good certainly when you can watch it all the way through and not have the pressure of going oh it's new star wars i've got to absorb it all when you just sit back and watch it i thought it was really really strong episode uh it's interesting as well if you look at the the title is setting you up for what the entire show is going to be a stranger in a strange land does anyone know what that is or what that's in reference to except for an iron maiden song enlighten us so stranger in a strange land is a science fiction book it's just one of the many times in, in the show where you know they use previous literature or previous films or art in which to sort of like emphasize what they're trying to get across in the scene so stranger in a strange land is from the 1960s and it's basically it's a sci-fi story about a guy who comes from a different planet and lands on earth and then is absorbed into the culture of earth so when you see Boba Fett from a different place. He's on Tatooine. He gets absorbed into the cultures uh, and ways of the Tusken Raiders, which kind of then sets him on his path to, you know, evolving his character from being someone who is a loner to being someone who's a tribesman. Just that title there is starting to set you up and direct you down that path. Look, it's also uh, I think the name of the book itself is a quote from the Bible, but I don't, I'm not sure what the biblical reference of it is. The whole dances with wolfings, isn't it? As well, with, yeah, you know, yeah, living with a people who were technically well you could look upon as an enemy but then you yeah you get to know them and yeah realize their ways aren't as alien as you thought i mean that's one of the things that's that I, I noticed is that they use a lot of like gangster movie references or you know fantasy movie references in which to portray like a certain direction or a certain environment or atmosphere do you see what i mean i've just found your um bible point bit grant it uh, originates in exodus 222 where moses names his son gershom for I have been a stranger in a strange land. Okay. Yeah, you're right. Spot on, mate. I mean, there's tons of stuff like this. But if you start writing notes about it, you realise that there's just not enough time to go through it all. There's so much of it. What did you think about the fan service stuff? Because I thought the fan service stuff all the way through the series was very cleverly done. Little drop bits all the time in it. What do we see? Because it, it was something that flowed all the way through the whole series, wasn't it? I think everybody wanted to see fat get out of the Sarlacc pit. I think that was one thing that had to be shown, wasn't it? Great to see him inside and see that stormtrooper and use the stormtrooper's air filtration for him to survive and then, you know, crawl out through the sand. It was um, it was great. Was it long enough? Because I thought there was so much opportunity for peril where you think he's going to get out and then, whoa, he doesn't get out, he slips even further and then you think he's going to get out, he slips down again and there's just like... You're in the mouth of the beast. There's such an opportunity for tension there. I was like, man, I would have rode that out a bit longer, made it a bit scarier, like, you know. We know he gets out because we'd already seen the Mandalorian. And I think, you know, they, they had to they had to deal with it. They had to get him out. But when you consider, right, we've gone into this with Boba Fett just on a pedestal, 
bearing in mind that the guy had what four lines in the original trilogy i think he was on for six minutes you know he was in the sarlacc pit for probably two minutes at that time three minutes maybe you know they just had to get it done i i agree i thought it was very clever with the stormtrooper and you saw the um the acid breaking down the stormtrooper armor so that stormtrooper had clearly been in there for a while I did see online afterwards quite a few people. Oh, what's that stormtrooper doing there? What's that doing in there? We don't need to know everything, people. Just stuff happens, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I thought it was great, and uh, I really liked it. And I, and I liked the music, which was threaded throughout the entire series. I, I thought they did a good job. Look at Goranson and Joseph Shirley. I did like the burnt out sail barge. Would have yeah. a nice touch. Yeah, they're cool. They want to see more of it. <laughs> I did. Um, I did watch it with my dad. Um, the first episode. Um, a couple of weeks after it aired, we was around there and put it on, and he was like, "Where are we? What's happening? What, what's going on?" Just with that opening scene, I said, "Well, it's Boba Fett in the side." So I had to explain to him the whole Boba Fett. Boba Fett, where with Han Solo? As soon as I said that, he was like, "Oh, right, okay, okay." But I think for people who weren't you know like us who are kind of you know drenched in this stuff they could have done more probably to set that scene a bit more to sh- maybe you know show you know the sail barge battle from a different view it would have been great to see you know even from a distance and then see boba fett fall into the pit and then you know open it from there sort of thing so that would be you know from a newbie point of view or somebody who's not as indoctrinated in star wars they, they could have done a little bit of a better job i think of, of setting that up there was a precedent there wasn't they they, they flash back to cabino they Flashback to Geonosis, it wouldn't have wouldn't have yeah. hurt. I saw Daniel Logan had tweeted out that all of the scenes of young Boba, except the one over his shoulder, all of them were were out, outtakes from the original filming. There weren't new shots taken apart from that one that's completely different over his shoulder. Just to show you how much they've got in reserve. I think that's fantastic, though, isn't it? Those flashbacks, whether it's the Camino or the Geonosian one, or later on the Order 66, or oh. even the uh, Night of a Thousand Tears one. So it but the, the, the Camino ones and the Geonosis ones elevate those prequel films, make them just a little bit more interesting. I'll tell you what I found quite interesting. I was reading online. The, um, the Gamorrean guards, when they when they appear, they're bare-chested, aren't they? Yeah. And apparently that's how George Lucas originally wanted them in Return of the Jedi. But at the time, the prosthetics just didn't look good enough. So he had to armor them up at the last minute. To, on that wow. Thing. So, yeah. Interesting. They've gone back to how he originally wanted it. It's all those little things, isn't it? They're, mm. they're fully on it. Yeah, everything is sort of in multiple layers. Everything. Like the original Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah, just I just thought the little throwbacks. I mean, Fett killing the sand monster with the chains like Leia killed Jabba. It's, yeah. it's just little things, all similar, kind of the dealer droid in the um in the cantina. That's an RX series droid like you had on Star Tours. Mm-hmm. Which unless you you know, there's just just little throwbacks in there constantly, aren't they? I love oh, it. Yeah, Max Rebo has been on there, didn't you? And you had the um, cantina theme playing as well, right? Yeah, yeah, kind of a new jazz. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, what they were doing, they were adding to the world, they were adding to the universe. Never did I think in a million years that I would hear them say, uh, can I service and clean your helmet or words that thing. <laughs> um, so whilst they were giving us all the little bits, they were enhancing our world. I love that. I watched... Um... I promised my son I'd watch each episode the first time I watched it. So we experienced the series together. I mean, when that sand creature came out, I mean, how excited he was as a 10 year old. He was like, whoa, just brilliant, wasn't it? That that, that bit there alone, just. Um, I think that was my favourite my yeah. favorite scene, that, 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 that creature. And I think a lot of people had 
drawn analogies with uh, Ray Harryhausen, as we mentioned earlier on. It looked very animated. It looked very of that particular time, and I think it was I think it was an intentional throwback. Oh yeah. Um, you know, to make it look like a, a Harryhausen, it had a it didn't have a CG quality about it, which was really refreshing. It, it had an old school feeling about it. I, I love that creature, and I, I would really like to see that as a, as a Black Series toy at some point, I think. And I shared it at, at the time in the group, um, but there's a cover of Star Wars Weekly, number 40 from November 1978, where there's the uh, cover with big splash of text saying, The Menace of the Cosmic Kill Creature. And I don't know whether the creative team on the show saw that, whether it is a deep cut or whether it's a coincidence. Even if it isn't, it's still very much of that world. And uh, yeah, it was a highlight of the first the first episode. Love that, it. <laughs> Dude, I was straight on eBay as soon as you said that. And I bought it. <laughs> and I bought it in front of me. And, uh, you know, so there's so much. Actually, this series has inspired me to buy a few things. Not much, you know, not really splashing the cash. But I was like, yeah, absolutely. So that picture it is brilliant. And then as soon as you open the front cover, you've got Han Solo versus a gladiator. Really, really good. Uh, it, it can't be a coincidence. Just want to come to you, Grant, on this, because we're talking about sand creature. So I read somewhere that it was based on the Green Martians um, from the John Carter book series. I don't know the John Carter, Carter series, but... But I also read somewhere, Grant, you know, you know this. I know you're like super involved in your old Star Wars computer games. But apparently that creature. So this is one for the enhanced Craig. is meant to be extremely similar to the spitter pillar that appeared on Tatooine aboard a sand crawler in the Super Star Wars game in 1992. Do you know I, what I'm talking about? Highly possible because the the winged creature that wakes everyone up in Mos Esper is the first thing that attacks you in Super Star Wars, I think. So it's highly likely. Yeah, one to find out and put side by side there, Craig. Okay, so I think we all all agreed. Uh, we all pretty much liked the first episode. I think um, the Sand Monster's getting a bit of love there. Do you want That's what I'm going to come to you, Grant. So the IMDB rating for this, of 16,000 votes, is 7.4 out of 10. So it'd be interesting to see where these measure up at the very end. But does that relate kind of with how we voted? So on the We Are Generation Skywalker Facebook page, our total for episode one came to 4.23 points. Mind you, I am I am sceptical about how I did the maths for this because I'm not sure you can make a percentage the way I did it. But they all, they all worked out the same way. Uh, 4.23 points. So and it, that came in. I haven't I haven't totted up number the, the final episode, but the first six episodes it ended up ranking fourth. Right. Okay. Interesting. So I would say perhaps we are generation Skywalker poll uh, has fed that a little bit higher than what than what the IMDb. Let me just see where that ranked because you said oh that was fourth out of the six. Yeah. And it was about that on uh, on the Rotten Tomatoes one as well. On IMDb, that is was ranked sixth out of the seven. So, um, okay. yeah, interesting. Right, so let's go over to episode two then. Uh, the Tribes of Tatooine. Uh, this time we're getting 51 minutes worth after just a measly 38 minutes. Broadcast for the first time, 5th of January 2022. Uh, director Steph Green. Mark. 
a real uplift here. But basically, this is Lawrence of Arabia in terms of the film and the theme, including in some parts shot for shot. And I think it was all done intentionally. I think we mentioned earlier that episode one was very much Dances with Wolves. Episode two, as far as I'm concerned, is Lawrence of Arabia. And it's basically we're introduced to the Pikes as being a considerable threat to Boba Fett's newly appointed crime lord status on Tatooine. There's also the first introduction of the Hut Twins, which was great to see those being carried in. Also, there was a nice nod to the original New Hope, the scenes that were cut with Cami and Pixar, where Boba Fett came in and saved those two guys from a Nick Toe biker gang, which again will play a bigger part later on down the line. But the main part of this, and for me, it was the most exciting and interesting part of it, was during his back to tank dreams, he was taken back to how he became involved with Tuscan Raiders and how he was integrated into their society. It was we got to see the Tuscans as a more communal uh, race, and it was it was just a really really interesting episode. And I, I, I personally I love the Tuscan Raiders anyway. I love those characters right from back in the day. Yeah, it was it to me it was my favourite episode out of all seven episode two. So yeah, it was a good 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 episode as far as I'm concerned. So boys, I think we all love this one. I think there was a real kind of excitement in our group chat when this episode came out and aired like a bamfer for me <laughs> one of the best get best gifts going i think it's brilliant <laughs> i sent you that little remix song at the weekend my boy's been singing it all weekend did you how to ride or did you or did you like a bamfer yes fantastic there was so much in there wasn't it cram you mean i mean mark gave a good summary there but even like chris Santon made his debut in there you had you had the lizard going up boba fett's nose which i thought was hilarious and then he staggers off into the desert and as his visions we see how gaffy sticks are made it's just there yeah, it had so much going on in those 59 minutes brilliant when they made that gaffy stick and the dance at the end that's uh that's macquarie concept art isn't it i was, I yes. was gonna say did anybody uh, recognize that bit of uh, wreckage that the gaffy sticks were being made under and it was basically that Ralph McQuarrie painting uh, from one of the portfolios, a very famous painting that he did and they, they've taken so many cues from Ralph McQuarrie yeah. Favreau and Filoni they, they, they've really done the homework like we mentioned earlier and uh, Ralph McQuarrie has featured very very heavily in everything they've done including The Mandalorian uh, and There's also the um, other concept art by the guys who did the Phantom Menace as well, isn't it? There's a lot of that Moss Esper concept art. It's it, it doesn't seem like it seems like everything within the frame is thought about. 
possibly my favourite character out of all of this has got to be the um, the female Tuscan Raider, the one that does all the training with um, Boba Fett. Just the way she moves and the way she sort of handles herself, and, and and also the way she looks when they attack the train, the train that features quite heavily that the, the, the Pikes are using to ship spice from one point to another. And the whole premise is the Tuscans want to destroy the train because it's killing off, you know, tribe members and whatever. The reason why uh, Boba Fett goes and steals the bikes and kick, uh, kicks off with the Nikto biker gang is to get these bikes off them so they can use them to destroy the train, capture the train, destroy it and send the bikes packing. And um, just the way that it, that all moved, that whole sequence with the train was just so well done. It was so exciting to see this piece of action, how, how it was done. It was just, it was, it was, it was incredible. Loved it. You just brought up, Mark. I mean, the, the train bit, I mean, it, it really is the spit of Lawrence of Arabia, isn't it? Like and, I say, mate, there are certain shots in that that are, are literally shot for shot. Uh, and yeah. I think it was done intentionally. Yeah. Yeah, well, it, it must be. Uh, also, I did read, do you know the bar fight? At the end, they said if you if you put it alongside Terminator 2, the end of that bar fight, they're basically side by side. Fett throwing the last biker through a glass window. He then walks outside, chooses a bike. The camera pans ah. to all the choices, mm. and then speeds off on on the bike. If you put it <laughs> alongside Terminator 2, it's near enough exactly the same ending. No way. No way. It's, it's all little things like this that just add another dimension to the whole thing. You know, rather than saying, oh, well, they're just copying. No, 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 no. This is this is a hats off to classic science fiction. I thought the uh, the train scene was probably, you know, they, they, they do some big stuff at the end. But I just thought it was an excellent action scene. I mean, you look at the train scenes in like Solo or something like that. It was for me, it was it was on a TV budget. It's it's amazing what they did. I thought it was brilliant. Mm. I think it's worth mentioning like the pace as well. By the end of episode two. We've established Boba as the character we meet in The Mandalorian. He's got his gaffy stick, he's got his black robes. They've wasted no time in getting to that point. I'm quite surprised Jez hasn't given us quite a fact here about the gaffy stick. Jez, do you want, do you want, to, <laughs> do you want to give me this, the fact that I read like earlier? Fact about the gaffy stick? When, it, no. when, he's, um, when he's shaping his gaffy stick, mm-hmm. tell me what I would expect you to know here. What about the the backdrop where it was done under the um, Macquarie? No, 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 no. More about no. the tool he's using to shape his gaffy stick. Oh, right, yeah. No, I don't. I love it when you uh, deliberately set up <laughs> your fellow podcast members to look like throbbers. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> Jez, it is a tool that is actually like in a real life, life. Uh, used as a military issue. Uh, you're going to know this because I haven't got a clue what it is. An LC-14B Woodman's Power? It's part of an air crew survival kit. I take it that's American, but um, it's the exact tool. Yeah. yeah. Well, there we go. I, I thought you probably had one on your like bat belt or something. <laughs> yeah. No. Not not this cool sign. Afraid not. Very interesting. Very interesting. That's going to be difficult to find, isn't it, um, Craig? For the uh, enhanced. <laughs> <laughs> I also oh, found out quite quite interesting. So. The journey that Boba Fett takes to find the branch from the tree actually goes back to something that George Lucas took inspiration from. Again, Grant, you're probably well read on this from the teachings of Don Juan. And that is that book by Carlos Castaneda 
is where May the Force Be With You comes from. It's the same wow. thing with the um, branch of the tree. I probably haven't said that very well, so maybe I'll record that bit when I'm on my own. <laughs> no, no, that, that, that's fascinating. I love the train heist. You were chatting about that earlier on. And also when you were saying about the Tuscan warrior, um, what was her name? Um, it was Joanne Bennett. Uh, Joanna Bennett is the actress who played her. Um, she was proper nails, but there was speculation about, oh, maybe she's force sensitive. Maybe she's a force user because there were some sort of extraordinary skills going on, jumping off of bikes and everything like that. And uh, yeah, that, that was that was pretty special. Great, but that, great. that whole train scene, when you saw that train for the first time, you just weren't expecting it. Again, it wasn't like anything which we've seen in the Star Wars universe before. No, they, made you think it was a, they made you think it was the Crate Dragon, the sound yeah. in the background. It, yeah. you, you thought it was a Crate Dragon, and you're like, oh, we have to fight another Crate Dragon, or was it the same one they killed in Mando? Yeah. Craig, there was, um, was there a reference before, maybe in the turn of the century, where there was a Tuscan Jedi? Yeah. There was. What was he called? <laughs> yeah, we've Probably had, we've had Tuscan Jedis before now. Right, okay, yeah, I thought it was. Dan, you mentioned Chrysanthemum. We haven't ca- really covered this great big black furred Wookiee appearing. Very menacing. Um, where was he first seen? In a comic book. Quite recent, though, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's a very, yeah, he's definitely like Disney-era Star Wars. He's not kind of like from the... Yeah, cool series, but I, I'd never seen him. I, I I haven't kept up with the Disney era comics, um, and I wasn't aware of him. And so when I saw him, I thought, "Wow, well, he looks cool." And then yeah, it will yeah send you down um, that rabbit hole. It's a Darth Vader Darth comic, Vader is that? One. Yeah, yeah, Darth Vader number one, 2015. Yeah, and um, he's also in Doctor Afra. It's the first. Um, I mean, obviously we saw we saw a lot of Wookies in um, Revenge of the Sith, but I think he's the. Oh, we saw him in um, Solo as well. But yeah, first kind of main character or you know a focused character beyond Chewbacca as a Wookiee I thought he was pretty good the guy's eyes are brilliant the guys who play yeah. him he's like Peter Mayhew he's got he's got really um so that that's his actual eyes is it yeah because I couldn't work it out I was like is this a, like some kind of effect because I can't work out whether like like I don't know Cad Bane or you know I don't know what CGI what's prosthetics and what's normal there's an actor in it I, I forget I Carrie Jones that's it yeah, big, it, big but, guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, huge guy. But also, what they had is, if you watch it, the lowest camera angle you can possibly get. See, so I think you had an elevated camera angle behind him, sort of showing size looking down. Yeah. But then when you saw the camera in front of him, it was real low, sort of proper lower than a Jawa, uh, giving him that, giving him that elevation. He just looked. Look at Chewbacca. I think, yeah, still looks like a bit scary, but yeah, kind of a little bit cuddly. No, this there was nothing redeeming. There was nothing pleasant about this creature at all. He meant business. Brilliant. The huts. Who saw Love that it. one coming? Did not expect to see a couple of huts sitting outside on a great big wooden slat. Um, a little, a little quiz for you, okay? As the, as the uh, as the huts are leaving in that scene, the male hut utters the words Murishani. That word has been said twice in two of the films. Natural thing. Can anyone tell me what films and uh, who says it? Return of the Jedi. It must be. Was it Phantom Menace then? No. One prequel, one OT film. Oh, good God. New Hope. Yeah, New Hope. Who do you think says it? Greedo. It is Greedo. Murashani means bounty hunter. Um, 
the other one. Someone's last words just before they die. They say, Marishana. Damn whistle. Sam Wessel, well done, Dan. Wow, points. Top marks, Daniel. Yeah, top done marks. Well there, Dan. <laughs> Just enough time to Google. Here's another deep cut. But I'm not sure if it's been confirmed, but did you notice that the the male hut had a little white thing that he was cleaning himself with? Yeah, like uh, a yeah, like little gerbil thing. Yeah, that apparently is a hoojib. Ah, yes. Right. I was like, wow. Finally, uh, after all these years, like you know, we've been waiting 35 years and we finally get a hoochie. 100%. It is, is it? Oh my god. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's absolutely. And I quite like the gag was linking back to Jabber eating the frogs and he's sort of he's going to eat it any minute now and he just sort of mops himself with it, puts it back. <laughs> I love those twins, man. That for me, ah, oh, that was the best. I think though, in terms of criticisms, because I think yeah, we're giving a lot of love. I suppose, and it and it and it gets worse as these as the first four episodes go on. It does feel like there's this kind of triangular motion where he's going from Jabba's palace to the sanctuary to the mayor's office, back to the palace to the sanctuary to the mayor's office, and you only ever get around those three or four locations. And I'm kind of like, I wish you could see more of it. It's such a big city. You see it from like above, and it seems like this big crater mm. of cliffs around it. And you just seem to float around these these two or three locations. Just want to see more, but that's just the fan in me, I suppose. But that that that's the only criticism mm. I think I've got so far of it. I must admit, I did wonder after the first two or three episodes whether the story was ever going to get going because we had seven episodes and we were like halfway through it. And it, the, I know we'd had the flashbacks, but the the story hadn't really gone anywhere. It was difficult to de- kind of determine what was going on or where see, it was going. I, see, I felt. That I, I could see where this was going right from the start when he started having uh, flashbacks with the Tuscan Raiders. I envisioned episode seven being the Tuscan Raiders being the army that he needed right yes. at the very end instead yeah. of what we got. And I was so disappointed, but we'll leave that conversation till later. Do you know what? I, um, I Googled today um, the biggest complaint from Star Wars fans for each episode. Okay, this this is how ridiculous the fandom can be. The biggest complaint for episode two was if every time the train kept going past, they kept getting shot. Why didn't the Tuskers just move their camp? <laughs> that that is that is, is like, well, that's the story of the episode. Incredible. Right. Okay. So but that means it's a really good episode, right? If that's all anyone's got to complain about. <laughs> well, so the IMDb rating from the first one was seven point four. This one got an eight point two out of ten. And actually ranked as the third best episode out of the seven on IMDb. Grant, how does that collate with Generation Skywalker? Okay, episode two was our second favourite at 4.59 points. So it was massively popular. It was high. Okay. Interesting. It is the fact that this is our second favourite because it was the second longest. In 52 minutes, it was the second longest. Please. Speak freely. So let's move on to episode three, The Streets of Mos Espa. Again, another short one after that. Back to 38 minutes, released on the 12th of January. And again, Robert Rodriguez is back for his second episode of the series. Like the first, he's just knocking out short ones. He needs to have a look at himself. Grant, coming to you on this. Yeah, Star Wars is dead. Star Wars is dead. There's Mighty Morphin, Power Rangers, 
spy kids in, in my Star Wars. It's all gone to hell now. It's all rubbish. So in this episode, Boba Fett is approached by a watermonger about trouble being caused by a gang of cyborg kids in Mos Espa. Boba Fett then goes to recruit these kids. Then in his back to tank, he goes approach the Pikes to see if the, the, the Pikes could pay some kind of money for protection. And when he returns to the camp, the Tuscans are dead. Uh, Boba Fett is then woken up by Black Chrysanthemum, who tries to kill him, and Boba Fett's new tribe rescues him. Black Chrysanthemum falls into the Rancor pit. Then the twins arrive, apologize that, uh, for sending Black Chrysanthemum, gifts as tribute a Rancor with a Rancor keeper to Boba Fett, and then says that they are going to leave Tatooine because there's another syndicate that's actually moved in, and they suggest that he should do the same as well. Boba Fett then decides to go to question the mayor, but the mayor isn't there. And the major Domo says that, uh, that he's going to go and get the mayor and then tries to escape. And then there's a Back to the Future style chase throughout the city where the major Domo is captured. So let's let's dissect this episode because this is the one that got hammered straight after, wasn't it? Let's talk about the mods. We find out they're called the mods, I think, in episode five, maybe four further on. Um, standing as modifications, but obviously a throwback to the mods. Um, Quadrophenia got another connection to another old classic film. What do we all think of them? Because I must admit, when I first watched it, it kind of took me out of Star Wars. It didn't look right on Tatooine. But the more I've watched it and the latter episodes, I've kind of got used to them and they don't really bother me. So uh, your thoughts on them? I thought the cyborg people were brilliant. Star Wars does this, doesn't it? It cherry picks eras, styles, artistic movements. I mean, there's a lot of Art Deco in a Bespin. I think the most obvious other example is like the 1950s diner in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. yeah. And this is this is more of that. Although I don't think it was that deftly handled. It was no. kind of a lazy copy and paste <laughs> almost. I mean, there's one of those guys and I had to freeze frame it because he's his outfit looks like he's wearing a skinny tie. He's got a fishtail parker on. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, yeah. it, it, they just didn't abstract it enough. And I wonder whether that's because in the States, they didn't really have mod culture. It was yeah. a uniquely British thing. Yeah. Um, and I saw a lot of kind of criticism at the time about, oh, these kids can't afford water, but they can afford these scooters. And that it was a very working class thing. It was, you know... Uh, a youth culture that prioritised style and transport over, you know, eating and drinking. So I see the precedent in other Star Wars material, um, but I just don't think they they kind of pulled it off. It was just too incongruous. I think they would have worked perfectly well on Coruscant or some other up-to-date planet. In Tatooine, their style and their, their their bikes just jarred completely with the environment, and yeah. um, I, that was one of the things that bugged me. Because when they when they, that water seller was saying, uh, "Oh, the, the, these kids they enhance themselves with cybernetics," I was expecting sort of Mad Max crossed with Terminator kind of gang. I thought, "Oh, they, these are going to be really cool," and um, I, I, you know, but I have to say. As time went on, I kind of mallowed right. to them uh, a bit. It's just it's just one of those things, I guess. They they definitely scored most points with a lot of stuff, but with these guys, I think they were just a bit misplaced. Yeah, you nailed it. My, my issue with them was I love the idea that we're trying to introduce different styles and different times, etc. But it's the it was the environment 
for me completely having lived in sort of sandy deserty environments like that they looked like they just got off a catwalk you know so you had the two primary characters of drash and scab and i think it was drash who had these red leggings and her skin was the texture of just like a porcelain doll she looked immaculately made up you know a very attractive lady but i was just like where's the sort of sand swept grit in your eye and stuff it just didn't look right it it, in my head i've got doctor who some some of the outfits it just looked so clean it looked like it was on a film set it was just all too clean quite a strange risk to take i thought when there's such obvious choices to make or even you know making the more cyberpunk version of those mods to make them so obvious you know it kind of reminded me of like canto bite what's obviously yeah. like a black tie casino event but they haven't taken it far enough so the the guy scad right so the one jordan bulger who who had their sort of eyepiece the monocle right <laughs> So if I'm looking at you from across a room and then looking at someone from across the other side of the street, I don't need to manually adjust my eye. This is a modification, right? So later on, they're in one of the later episodes and there's a fight and then he's looking up at the ceiling where his uh, buddy is uh, Drash is just about to do some sniper action and he has to manually adjust his eye to look at her. And I was just like, that's not a mod. That's a backward step, mate. You've been mugged. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I was just like, nice, but just haven't thought it through to the finish is my big thing with that. But I can see the logic in making them look very different to the the Nikto biker gang who were who were rockers. We we need some mods yeah. to go up against yeah. them. I kind of get that. It's funny, isn't it? Because in Star Wars. British people are often the baddies or just the <laughs> ones everyone hates. <laughs> Give us a break. It did feel, though, that it was the ammunition needed for people who set out from the offset to hate this, to hate it. Quick question for you guys. So, obviously, and I think the problem with the mods is it undermines some really great stuff. Like, seeing a Rancor was amazing. Seeing the Twins was amazing. Do you think that the Tusken Raiders, because I think we're going to come back to this, Mark. Do you think all those Tusken Raiders were killed? Because I think I've got a way yeah. out. I've got, I've got a way out for them. I, I really do hope so, because they, they're such a strong part of the show and um you know a cornerstone of star wars law so i i'd like to see them back i was i think that three gaffy sticks were thrown on the fire i was i was i was on the fence whether or not the the female fighter whether she survived or not but i think that after watching the final episode and then not coming back in that final episode i think she was toast so, all three so- that the leader the child and the and the and the female tuscan i think they all died so, so, so here's a theory to get out of it because I, I, I'm with Mark. I thought the Tuscans were going to be uh, the army at the end, and they were going to sort of re-establ- yeah. re-establish Fort Tuscan in Jabba's palace. But none of the bikes that they stole were there, so I think they could have got away. Because I never saw that. They would have made a big deal. They made a big deal of that female training uh, Boba Fett, and they didn't show anything of it. Not a hand, nothing. I think that they survived, and they're coming back in the second season for that Fett army reason. Do you, do you think we're going to get a second season, though? I mean, yes. I'm sure this is something we're going to chat about, but I I, I, I don't know. Well, what, what, isn't there like a thing on um, Disney Plus where it says like season one? Yeah. Or will it amalgamate with Mandalorian and become, because after season three of Mandalorian, they're saying that it's going to change into another show. So I'm wondering whether there's going to be a, a combination of the two, possibly. Ahsoka, isn't it? 
So possibly is, a, is that what it's is that what it's turning into after after season three? Yeah, I think it's Ahsoka then. But you know, you could have two episodes of the Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka because they set that precedent there, haven't they? It's like this is more like a. It's a shame they don't call it sort of like the Mandoverse and then have chapter one, you know, named after the Mandalorian, chapter two, the Child, chapter three, Book of Boba Fett, because I think that's really through people. But we'll get to that, I guess. I think your bike points is a good theory. I think they would have made more of seeing that female Tuscan's body, given that was the, the character that he had the most connection with. Yeah. Uh, also, the Back to the Future 1, Back to the Future 2 sort of um, uh, chase through the streets of Mos Espa, which I, I was fine with because I couldn't, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't. But that also got quite the kick in. But why? Do you know what? I think one of you boys said it on the chat. What a great way to see the streets of Mos Espa. When yeah. do we get to do that? When do you get it? The more you watch that, the more you'll see because yeah. you're watching what's going on the first two, three times you watch that. But the more you watch it, you'll be be looking around at exactly what characters are there and what they're doing and whatnot. I, I just... You know, pause it, isn't it? Pause it and tell me what's real. Is it a miniature? Is it a set? Is it CGI? How high does the set go? What people are real? What people aren't? I mean, it's that's just one shot and there's about, I don't know, 150 shots of this chase. It's just mind-blowing. It did seem slow, but it was certainly faster than someone running. But it's through the streets. You can't, you can't be ripping it at 150 miles an hour. But it's then, to just be not fair, doable, is it? Fennec Shan did rip it at a million miles an hour in episode seven. So right at the end, she she got on her bike and she went really fast. But it's just, you know, you and can go the fast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You can go fast on a fast bike. These I were mean, yeah. mod Vespers. Well, you just you just alluded to it, okay? The mods are the mods. No doubt they're going to pop back up again. But you just said, Grant, I mean, we saw the rancor. The rancor being delivered by the huts. I was wow. quite disappointed that the huts were there and then they left. I thought they were going to go, but not actually have gone. On that, do you know why? Because the, the planet Tatooine isn't in hut space. And why the pikes want it is because Kessel is on the other side of hut space. And the only way that they can get the spice out of Kessel and into the universe is by going through hut space. But Tatooine is outside it. So that's why the Jabba the Hutt held Tatooine, because they'd have to go through Tatooine if they want to avoid hut space. So I think the twins are going to come back. But that's that's really deep, deep, geeky stuff. I don't know where I got that from. It's very impressive. Thank you. Welcome. I've got a YouTube account. (laughs) (laughs) But we get this rancor delivered to them fantastic scenes uh danny trejo water water casting yeah um i was disappointed not to see him a little bit more um but i did read about him do you know rodriguez the director when they were filming desperado they're both in desperado they found out that they were actually related they were second cousins and since then rodriguez puts him in nearly everything he produces i mean again there's another little throwback up i read you know when he's talking about about the rancor and the rancor imprints on the first human it sees. Yeah. That's a line straight out of Jurassic Park. That's why if you watch Jurassic Park, Hammond says in it, every time there's a birth of a, a dinosaur, he's the first one it wow. uh, oh, lays yeah. eyes on to imprint. Another classic cult film, film series that it's related to. There's so uh, many of them in there. And you understand why the rancor keeper cries in Jedi now. Exactly, yeah. Because if you, I don't know if you guys ever read the book uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace in 1995, it came out. And there's a story there with the Rancor Keeper and the Rancor and how he takes him out to like feed in the 
desert of Tatooine. And I always remember reading it when I was like, like a young kid thinking, how would that happen? You know, that doesn't seem right to me. But then in this, you see how it, how it happens. It makes sense, you know. So I thought that was an amazing callback as well. They mentioned the uh, the witches of Dathomir with the yeah. rainbow as well. Another throwback to a bit of literature. Craig, you can tell me which book that was first in. I think it's... Princess Leia. There you go. Knew you'd know it. <laughs> yeah, so... Just just constant little things, isn't it? Filoni and Favreau are so invested, aren't they? Yeah. So in this in this episode, Boba Fett says to the young crew, go and gather up your gag. You ever heard the word gag? When they were filming um... the original trilogy, among the crew members, gag was what the crew members called random bits of technology. That was their code word on set. Mm. It's just little things constantly. And there was a holiday special reference as well when... I think it's one of these special reference anyways, when Boba Fett says I've ridden t- these 10 times. It's yeah. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So for, so for an absolutely terrible episode that's destroyed Star Wars, it's pretty good, wasn't it? Really? <laughs> I think it's just the little things that they throw in and, and, you know, you don't pick them up straight away. They're just, they're so invested in it. I just think they're, they love it. Do you know what I would have loved if it was them two that did the sequel trilogy? Yes. They left oh, in God. those hands. It yeah. kind of, when I was sitting watching one of these episodes, I was just sitting there thinking, what could have been with those, really? Do you know when Fett rides into, into Mos Eisley? Um, I think he's going to see the Pike Syndicate at the time. And in the background, as he's, as he's going through there, there's a bloke spiking the Stormtrooper helmets. He's actually forcing them onto the spikes, if you look in the background. Yeah, and if you go to uh, season one of The Mandalorian, episode five... They're the exact helmets on there with the same markings, apparently, that you can see the exact markings on those helmets, but they're already spiked at that point. It's just, do you know what I mean? They've, yeah. they've looked so, so much into it. It's just... Um, well, but one, one thing that was missing, though, was at no point did Boba Fett go, where the hell's the Empire? <laughs> and I thought, <laughs> yeah, that's you know, true, yeah. surely you would have walked in the Mos Eisley and thought, like, my God, they're, they're taking the piss by you, hanging those, you know, with those stormtroopers, they're going to feel the wrath of the Empire. But at no point does he go, hang on a minute, what happened to the Empire? And I thought, that's, I mean, I would, a 10-minute him and Din Djarin wandering around the desert outside Jabba's palace, that, that's the scene I wanted. Just 10 minutes of them going, oh, yeah, yeah, the Empire got wiped out, yeah. <laughs> and I think when he says, I can learn to ride the Rancor, how excited did you just get in that episode? Just like, oh, my God, we're going to see Boba Fett riding a Rancor. Okay, later on, there was a, some criticism that he, you know, he, he he sort of rides the rancor out of nowhere. But in that episode, he goes, we start tonight. Yeah. You know, yeah. so he's, you know, he's probably on it all the time. Like a, you know, like a 13 year old with a PlayStation. Yeah. <laughs> I think obviously these fans that keep complaining, Grant, are in the same boat as you. They, they want to see everything minute by minute and every yeah. conversation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, do that. The IMDb rating for this, actually, this is the lowest of the lot. It had it marked down at 6.3 out of 10, and it is the lowest of the episodes. Um, Grump? Uh, it got hammered 2.56 points. By far the worst reviewed. Uh, yeah, people not happy at all. Interesting. I, I think, think for me on that one, as well as the bikers, the fatigue of going from the same three locations. <laughs> It's like, come on, go somewhere else. <laughs> but we did get to see a bit more in the bike chase. But yeah, that, I, I didn't. I know we've sat there and you guys were saying, oh, you know, you could see loads at the time when I watched it. I just thought compared to what we'd seen the week before in the train chase, I just thought it was poorly executed in comparison to that. But when I have gone back and watched it again, you're quite right, Stu. 
there's tons to see. Um, I noticed when I watched it yesterday, there was when they crashed through one barrel, a load of mouse droids run out. Just small things like that that you just wouldn't pick up the first time. So you're trying to absorb it all, but there's tons going on there. Yeah. Right. OK, let's move on to episode four then. The Gathering Storm, 47 minutes this one, uh, released on the 19th of January. Director Kevin Tancharan. Um, Jez, can you uh, can you give us a brief overview of this one? Do you know what? People might not think about it right now, but there was a lot going on in this episode. And if you were to play it back now, there's so many things which make sense then throughout the rest of the series. This is an episode which, yeah, as you said, it's 48 minutes long. And in that 48 minutes, you get so many different treasures and treats with regards to sounds to the ear as well. Because this is where we got Slave One, Fire Spray back and all the bells and whistles. But I'll start at the beginning. You had, um, yeah, funny old thing, another flashback. We're fed on a banther post the travesty now of the Tuscan village killing. Um, straight away, he's spying on Jabba's palace. He's wanting that Fire Spray Slave One back. And he sees lots of weak ways, riders. And then this is the one where it ties in nicely with the Mandalorian episode five, The Gunslinger when he stumbles across Fennec Shand. So Fennec's just been sort of what appears to be mortally wounded in The Mandalorian, and he picks her up and then takes her off to the modifiers. So yeah, gets her fixed up, and there's um, a whole sort of montage, because everyone loves a montage, about her getting fixed up. And then they have a fireside chat. And it's in the fireside chat, that's where he says, I'm going to get that bloated pig who double-crossed me. And so you now know that, right, this is pre him sitting down on the throne, um, but he still doesn't have his ship yet. Um, he then goes on to say that he's tired of working for idiots who are going to get him killed. So this is where in his mind he's starting to think, right, there's more to me than just being a bounty hunter. So they have a chat and, and uh, discuss different things. That's their first sort of fireside chat. Then they uh, start spying on Jabba's palace and um, Fennec Shan sends off her little red spy ball, which kind of annoyed me slightly because I was like, there's nothing subtle about that. You know, I want like a little stealthy spy ball, but there we go. Not something which got red LEDs all over it. But it was a great scene because the spy ball was going around. It was scanning the palace. And then they did their sort of palace sort of uh, recce followed by their their um, palace sort of takeover. Really great to see them go through that with some good sort of comedic value as well. If you think back, you know, when they were... You had the uh, EV-99, you had the sort of uh, chef with his multiple arms, a bit like, um, oh, who's the uh, lightsaber wielding? Uh, Grievous. Oh, Grievous, yeah, General Grievous type thing. And then you had the rat catcher. So it was that element, which was very sort of Jedi, very Muppets, you know, that that sort of comedic value, which I think was in place. It didn't upset me. Didn't um, I what, didn't have any issues about it at all. I liked the whole thing. Um, they uh, rescued or rescued. They uh, they got their ship back, and there were some great action scenes of that. And Fennec Shan just really bossing it and flipping around, and 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 uh, then uh, Fett was trying to do a sort of three point nine point turn um, uh, to get out, and uh, then straight away, what's the first thing he wants to do? Vengeance. So he immediately goes off and kills the uh, biker gang, blows them up. Then he goes off to the Sarlacc pit. And this is where you get the engines, the throbbing of Slave One. And uh, then it does that amazing pier 
where it just peers into the uh, Sarlacc pit. You've never seen Slave One or, or any ship fly like that, sort of a hover, v, hover feature, amazing. And then you see, again, the sounds of the Sarlacc itself and the sort of screeching and the scratching, and then you have that coupled with the lasers, then the seismic blasts. That was an absolute treat from a visual audience point of view. It was brilliant. Fire in the hole! Another fireside chat with Fennec, where he's uh, Fett is talking about how he found his tribe and his tribe made him stronger. And she was like, no, it's made you weak. He's like, no, it's made me strong. Um, wakes up from that. Um, and this is when we get it signposted that he's completely healed. The back to tank sort of the robot said, you, you're completely healed. Um, and then uh, the next scene is older Chris Anton in the sanctuary. And you just see him, he is in a bad mood. And he's throwing beers down at sort of George Best's best session rate. And he's just watching these Trandoshans just having a good time. And them having a good time is winding them up even more. He's in such a bad mood. And you just see him knocking down ale. And then he just goes over, has a big fight with the Trandoshans. We know what happens. You see uh, some Wookiee ripping the arms out of their sockets. Uh, Fett offers him a job. And then there's a scene with the dinner time with the Trandoshans, uh, well, with the locals, with, with all of them, the so Trandoshans and the Aquilishes, and they're just, he's sort of saying, right, this is what I want you to do. They're not really up for it, but they just agreed to go neutral. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Then they leave and uh, Fett talks to Fennec Shand about we're going to need some muscle. And that's just when it finishes and you hear the Mandalorian music. Credits can buy muscle, if you know where to look. So, um, a real scene set, you know, slap bang in the middle, but there's so much information coming out of that now that if you watched it back, you'd be like, oh yeah, of course, of course, of course. Great episode. Yeah, the Mando theme tune was very nicely put in, wasn't it? Mm. Great pick up that, mate. So, what do you all think of episode four then? Craig, I bet you were quite happy to finally see a swoop bike gang in uh, live action after Shadows of the Empire 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, I had a little power of the force too, swoop bike. <laughs> I was racing it around the, uh, around the front <laughs> the, the slave one thing. So, it had lots of flashbacks to Camino and his young Boba staring out at the ship, isn't he? As the ship's taking off. And you mentioned earlier. You know, about his relationship with his dad. Does he turn into his dad? Does he fight alone? Does he join the tribe? But I think part of those flashbacks are about the ship as well. I think Slave mm. One is his connection to his father. And that, I felt, my reading of it was that was a lot of the motivation in getting his ship back rather than just going and shooting people. Yeah, agreed. And I think it also gave a tidbit for people who have grown up with the Clone Wars uh, and seen seen his sort of through life you know pass from this person to that person and then who he's grown up with and who sort of mentored him and now he's actually yeah it feels very much like family which really such a strong bond and why he had so much vengeance and immediately afterwards which was kind of outside of his character in the rest of the series which kind of proves how much the tuscans meant to him i thought it was great to see more of Jabba's palace i think you know whenever we get to see more of that place i'm always 
kind of like looking around all the different corners almost to see where if you can go, kind of get your bearings on where you are. So, you know, I think seeing the the, the kitchen with, I think it was EV99 was in there. Yeah. Is this is this the one that starts with the Beaumont Monk as well? Yeah, I think so. Because that, that, um, that was actually stop motion. That's not CGI. That's um, Phil Tippett. Okay. It was nice to get him back on board and uh, and do a bit of Star Wars. Oh, yeah, it doesn't start with that because it starts with him having his flashback in and he's on his banther for a bit. But yeah, I think then when it goes to Jabba's palace, that's when you see that. Yeah, I think you see it, though, in present time, though. It's meant to be that Boba Fett's taking it over. It's the very start of the episode. I think it's one of the first things you see. I can't remember. Okay, sorry about that. I can't 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 place it. You're right. It is in this episode. I think for me. One of the coolest scenes out of the whole season was the bit where the slave one comes in behind the Nikto biker gang and starts blowing them all up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you see him flying off in all directions. And uh, to me, any scene with slave one in, any chance you get to see slave one in action, flying or otherwise, is always like you just stop what you're doing and watch it and enjoy it. It's great. Uh, yeah, that was outstanding, I think, that scene. Also, interesting symmetry that both. Fennec Shand and Boba Fett are left to die in the sand. They're just discarded. Did you did you notice that they dropped the spurs from the soundtrack? Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. the, the spurs are on the uh, the season one Mandalorian yeah. episode, aren't they? Yeah. Was it the gunslinger? Was it called? That's yeah. right. They clearly had worked out that he wasn't actually wearing spurs. I had to backtrack on that. <laughs> no, I think this episode throws up some interesting things about the cybernetics and the, the modifications. So, you know, throughout the saga. We've seen them as kind of slightly horrific necessities. So Vader's in the suit, you know, when Luke loses his hand and he gets his his, his fake hand, it's he's somehow less of a person and you really feel for him. Um, yeah, we see these people opting into it just down the road from where Luke grew up um, and they're, they're enhancing themselves as a lifestyle choice. So that was quite interesting. And the Beaumont monks, obviously, are the extreme of that, aren't they? Yeah. They've foregone all of their bodily aspects and and they just uh dismembered brains you know there's some some interesting stuff going on there with with how the universe sees man and machine i liked the mod artist he had a uh, hand of a super battle droid didn't he that's right yeah Thundercat. aren't you a little old to be here she needs modification no walk-ins appointment only is the sarlacc dead it did take a, a seismic charge. I was going to say, face. I think after a seismic charge, I think it's pretty much done. <laughs> I loved that scene. Yeah. With the, um, the thing over it. And again, we, we talk about like for like for other films. Obviously, this is very similar to the face hug attack from the Alien series. And if you listen to it, the sounds and the music are nearly spot on to the Alien sounds and the music of the same scene. Again, wow. I don't know how Craig can incorporate that in the enhancement that means put into the edit. But... but um, it would be quite cool to have them here now. The way the beak came out on the Sarlacc as well, because it was, you know, obviously we're used to the original version where there was no beak and it was just a hole, and then obviously it got added in. This showed the the beak coming out of the hole, which I thought was quite a 
was 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 that Dave Filoni? Dave Filoni and John Favreau saying, "Look, we understand that a lot of you didn't like the change in the special editions, so here's both." Yeah, I thought that was that's brilliant. Fennec Shand also uses the expression to sing like a yuzum. Which where, is the, where do we know yeah. from? I've written that down. Is, of course, Jedi special. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, they uh, they love it, don't again. they? Brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, love brilliant. It. <laughs> Another bit I liked was when they were all sitting around the table negotiating and the Good Rancor that, yeah. Claw Rancor Claw came up through the uh through the floor. <laughs> Do you know, I, 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 I saw someone write a video out on that. I haven't got back to check it out, but there, apparently the music's very much like the Godfather music, apparently, in that scene. Is it's it? very much that. Yeah. It surprised me with what we've seen, what we've spoken about tonight already, isn't it? It's like the meeting of the five families and they're all kind of making agreements and they're going to stab each other in the back five minutes later. Well, okay. Let's move, let's move it on from here because I know we've got some big episodes coming up. Um, Grant the IMDb rating, seven and a half out of ten for this. This ranked um, fifth out of the seven. So low down. How's it sit on Generation Skywalker? So this is episode four. This is the second. No, we've only got six episodes reviewed here. We haven't got the last one we reviewed. So episode four was 4.2 points. So that was the second from last liked episode. I mean, it's got to be worth five points just for that slave one attack on the bikers, surely. Yeah, I thought there were some standout scenes in this episode. All of the episodes on We Are Generation Skywalker Facebook page, they all got over over four out of five, except for the Spy Kids Power Ranger mod episode that barely got three, 2.5. I think one of the big reasons why people didn't necessarily like it or gave it lower scores was because of the action the pacing there was an incredible set pieces but there was some hanging around by a fire chatting do you know what the the the, the sitting down by the fire when they've got slave one and the burnt house uh, yeah. jabba sail barge that was my second favorite scene there because you get to they give you reason why they're doing what they're doing absolutely you know and and, and yeah. I, th- I think that's just that's, that that set i think it's just them two sitting next to a fire everything else is fake like stave one is just a video screen and if that's so because it's got like the light on where you can walk into it and i was just like if that's all fake that's mind-blowing you know when i was eight or nine and had a video uh i think yeah when i was renting the empire strikes back and you know watched it rewind it watched it i then watch hoth i then fast forward and fast forward till i got to the lightsaber scene at the end because as a young kid, I was like, yeah, all right, they're, they're doing some training. Yeah, it's not as good. You know, I wanted the action. Uh, and as I said, you know, there may well be some people who will now say, no, just wash your mouth out. You're talking rubbish. But I, I do think now if, if people watched Empire Strikes Back for the first time ever, they wouldn't love it as much as they do now because people are so overly critical uh, of when they don't have that Marvel continuous action and any any characterization and you know people say oh yeah the character didn't go anywhere <laughs> he had the biggest transformation of all you know um it, the guy became a monk a killer monk but uh that is the scene though, that he tells his justification for why he's changed yeah like the whole the whole um season pivots on that scene where he expresses what the the impact of what being with the tuscans were like and the conclusions he made from that experience 
We could chat about this for ages, couldn't we? Oh, there's so much there's original trilogy depth going on here with these mm. episodes. We'll be talking about for 20 years. This is just like very, very surface level. There's, there's tons to it. Right then. Okay. I'm going to move it on to episode five. Uh, Return of the Mandalorian. 50 minutes long. Went live on the 26th of January. The director, Bryce Dallas Howard. Um, and I think she made an incredible job here. Uh, Craig, can you give us an overview of the episode? Yeah, we obviously knew that the Mandalorian was coming back. We had a little tease of the the music in the the preceding episode, and obviously the title of the show gives a little bit of it away. But in terms of structure, bit of whiplash. We're somewhere completely different, and we're with a different set of uh, Mandalorian armor. So we're catching up with Din Djarin. He's chasing down a bounty, like uh, when we first met him in the very first episode of The Mandalorian. Uh, brings him in cold. So we see that hanging out with little cuddly Grogu's not not made him lose his edge. So uh, he takes off uh, the head of his bounty and uh, takes it back to whoever's commissioned him. Once he's on the, uh, the, the cool kind of ring base station planet, he delivers the bounty and goes to find some of his old mates in the form of Paz Vizsla and the armorer. So in the, the fight when he's uh, taking down the bounty, uh, in the first instance, he injures himself with the dark saber. So we see that he's not adept at wielding it. There's a little bit of turn and fro in, a little bit of exposition as to where uh, the dark saber originated. Paz Vizsla makes a, a claim for it because it's one of his ancestors that that forged it. He bests him. He goes off to Tatooine um, and he has to travel via Star Tours because he's not got the Razor Crest anymore. So we see him board a commercial flight there's another uh, rex style droid um he has to give up his uh, his armory and put it in a in a secure locker while he's while he's flying so we see him somewhat emancipated and sort of a, a different a different type of mandalorian he meets up with heli who's been looking out for a new ship for him turns out that the new ship is not another razor crest it is a naboo starfighter that we first see in episode one uh, and they strip it down in a proper grease lightning style montage uh they soup it up uh he takes it for a spin he has a run-in with a couple of the uh the x-wing dudes from uh the mandalorian and he's all set he's got his new ship fennec shan turns up doesn't she, does yeah. she? Yeah. yeah so fennec shan turns up and uh says uh that she needs his help or that boba needs his help and he says yeah i'm in but first i'm just gonna go and see an old friend really hard these synopses yeah <laughs> not friends <laughs> It is, isn't it? <laughs> I'm back in English literature and the teacher just made me stand up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's exactly it, isn't it? <laughs> Frank, where did we get to last week? <laughs> well, I mean, so we've got a Boba Fett series without Boba Fett in it, even for a second. But did, this was kind of like the favourite show, wasn't it, I think? Originally, when before the series started, that... The first episode of Mandalorian was going to be chapter 17, second episode, chapter 18. So they were talking about one point where I'm sure it was on Wikipedia. They were going to continue the, the chapters. Um, it was almost a continuation of Mandalorian. But then obviously yeah. they've made now it, it, its own thing. Yeah. Um, I, I'd worry about in future, you know, someone coming along watching the Mandalorian, watching seasons one, two and three. And between season two and three, he gets Grogu back and thinking, hold on a minute, what have I missed? But yeah, I, it was. I thought it was a brilliant episode. I thought it was. It was um, showered a lot of love on on these first four episodes. Now, I mean, but when I was watching it at the time, I was getting quite frustrated with it in terms of. And I get they were trying to give that whole 
uh, kind of godfather who's stabbing who in the back who's the villain is it the mayor is it the huts is it the pikes like i did get a little bit fatigued with it and this was this was this was like a breath of fresh air this episode i really really enjoyed it i think grant mentioned on sort of several occasions now that favreau filoni and et al have been quite brave in some of their choices in this series and um, I don't think there's anything braver than not having the main protagonist in an episode of what is a relatively short run uh, show. In terms of braver, I don't think you can get any braver than that, really, can you? I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody was expecting an episode like that or the following one, to be honest with you. Um, it was, uh, it, like Dan says, breath of fresh air. The, the, the criticism was that people were saying that they didn't have enough story for Boba Fett. And I didn't read it like that at all. I read it like how confident are these guys that they, they could actually do that, that they are, they are confident in their ability to jump from story to story and take those risks. I mean, I can't think of another show that's done it. You know, you've got a, you know, you've got a, a character like Mandalorian. He's got his own ongoing series that all of a sudden jumps into someone else's series and gets given, you know, technically two full episodes. Yeah. And it's just, it's just, I can't think of another example where they've done it. You have crossovers sometimes and you might have a flashback episode where you might see another character's, you know, backstory, but to see it kind of jump into the continuity like this is, yeah, I can't think of another example where they've done it anywhere ever. You're, you're a Holby city fan, aren't you mate? Don't they, isn't Holby city and casualty quite closely intertwined? <laughs> you don't have a whole episode of casualty you know, with, with Holby city. I'm pretty sure I'm right there. there <laughs> you know, there's um Bryce Dallas Howard as well. Uh, what an incredible job that she's done again after doing the episode that introduced Bo Katan in Mandalorian season two. But there's a shot in this episode which I think is the future of cinema, and it completely it's completely blew my mind. So what you've got is a single shot of the Mandalorian carrying the head. He goes into the lift. He then takes the head. He drops it on the table. He leaves. Goes back into the lift. Goes back down and leaves. That's all done in one shot. The thing is, is the lift doesn't exist and the furniture doesn't exist. So what they would have done is they would have had to film this in a single shot in 3D. So the only thing that's moving is the screens and the volume. So they would have had to have moved set dressing that was there on the bottom floor. When they, the camera goes up and he goes up in the lift, they would have had to remove that set dressing and added new set dressing for the camera to come out of the lift with him to circle around the Ishi Tib that was paying him for the uh, the head that needs to go on ice to go back into the lift. So they're filming in like almost like a three dimension here, almost like a theater. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, they would yeah. have, they would have had to have been proactively moving set dressing and sets around. And you get the, you get the impression that he's walked into a lift and gone up. He hasn't gone anywhere. He's just walked into a box. The screen's gone up and changed the environment. That to me is a whole new level of filmmaking concept. I really hope we get a gallery episode that show all of that. Yeah, I mean, uh, anyone else? I mean, that blew my mind completely. I thought that was incredible. I, did, I didn't know that until you just said it. I didn't even realise. Watch it again. Watch it again, right? It's one shot. <laughs> Grant, you've clearly watched this particular scene a lot. Now, when he goes in that lift, around about minute 7, 20 seconds in, something like uh, 7 minutes 20 in, he stands next to an alien, and that alien sort of looks at him, looks down at the bag and when he looks over the alien sort of strains his head his face that alien's proportions of the face it's the um it's the stormtroopers from the sequels 
that I tell you, I know it's weird. I'll have to take a photograph and, and sort of send it to you guys. But the way in which they've designed this alien's face, it almost looks like the duck elements of the stormtroopers you see in episode seven, eight, and nine. As soon as I saw that, and every time I see it, I'm like, ah, oh, they're uh, they're giving a chuck up to the stormtroopers. That uh, go looking forward to that one, Craig. That's gonna be a great transition. <laughs> I, I think those, weren't those aliens in the Force Awakens? Yes, they were. I think they were at um, Baz's. Yeah. Yeah. But there's another bit around about that time as well. He, he goes into that sort of little club, the worst disco dancing ever. <laughs> right. I've seen it a couple of times, and every time I see it, there's one guy in particular. I'm like, oh, dude, just you're never gonna pull someone with those moves. It's just, it's just the most horrific dad dancing, and uh, yeah, just oh. Yeah, but if that's my biggest criticism of this TV show, they've done well. But awful disco dancing. You know, when they, when they film those scenes, there's no music, you know, they have to, and afterwards it's very hard. Here's a, here's a fun fact. I was an extra in 24-hour party people. And uh, I, I, was oh, in, wow, yeah. I was in the Hacienda scenes. They play the music, you get the rhythm. They turn the music off and you have to dance. <laughs> with no music. Right, can we have that in the enhanced bit? I want to see, your, I want to see you on that, Craig. So let's talk about, I think, one of the best things in this uh, episode was the fact that he's getting a new vehicle or a new fighter, starship, whatever you want to call it. He's got on a boo starfighter, a real throwback to episode one. OK, everyone must have been extremely excited by this and uh, lots and lots and lots of uh, little throwbacks. When he takes it for the test ride, he ends up going on the uh, the Bunter Eve racetrack and I don't know if it, you all noticed the, you know the service ramp that Sabalba yep. forces Anakin up still yep. broken yeah. laying on the floor little things like that little touches superb happy with the choice of ship I mean who's looking forward to the next uh, Haslab project oh, I'll tell you what I'm definitely signing up for one and um, I think the the ship design from uh, for the Naboo Starfighter was arguably one of the best things out of the prequels for me i think doug chang really nailed this sort of making a starfighter look beautiful it was almost the opposite end of what ralph Macquarie was trying to do with make them look utilized and used and battered and have loads of detail on them and doug chang sort of went the opposite way made them streamlined and stretched them made them really elegant looking really beautiful design um, really stood out from anything else out of Star Wars, everything that he did uh, with the Naboo stuff. And um, he took that and they basically ripped it apart. And I think somebody mentioned it, a bit of a Grease episode. Yeah, it was very, very sort of A-teamy, wasn't it? It was, um, you know, it, ripping parts from bits and pieces and creating this real sort of, I don't know, battered looking version of the Naboo Starfire. I, I love it. I love it. And if, if Hasbro do do a, a Haslab project for it, sign me up for one, possibly two. Do you think that was a chuck up in some respects also to American Graffiti? Yeah. The fact that they turned this thing into a hot rod, you know, and, and then when you see it and talk about later episodes uh, later, um, but there's a great shot of where it just looks like a muscle car. It looks like a muscle spaceship. Yeah. I also like the camera between the legs, like the Top Gun shot. They could have put the camera anywhere, but it made it really real. Yeah. You know what we did? Uh, when did we record it? I think we recorded after Christmas, like, Hopes for 2022. And I was like, oh, I'd love it if, like, Hot Toys or 
Hasbro did uh, a BD droid from Jedi Fallen Order, but they probably won't. <laughs> I almost had Alpen all over my face. I couldn't believe it. I did think of you when I saw little BD pop up. And if you, it's brilliant because like when um, uh, when they're talking, if you look, there's a womp rat running around as they're building the N1 Starfighter, and the BD droid is always about five steps behind it looking for it. <laughs> It's just little touches like that where I'm just like, this is amazing. Like apparently, that is the first in the live action show, the first proper womp rat you've ever seen. And ones that were like in the special editions were actually called scurriers. They weren't womp rats. That's the first womp rat we've wow. seen officially mm-hmm. in live action. You've got the Jurassic Park shout out there as well, isn't it? Where she gets grabbed by it. That's got to be yeah, a brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the whole um, the whole scene when when Mandalore's being destroyed. Oh wow! Very Judgment Day, isn't it? Terminator Two. Yes. Yeah. The way it's done. Probe droids and security yeah. droids. Well, Bryce Dallas Howard is in Jurassic Park and Terminator. You know, there's there's nods everywhere, aren't there? Yeah, it's amazing how many other films they've touched on, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. Like I don't know my mobster films. There's probably you know I don't know the Intouchables or the Godfather that well, but there's probably Butch Cassidy. There's probably tons of it, mate. Well, I love that. They're my favourite kind of films outside of Star Wars. Yeah. So when you see these things, you're just like, oh, that's familiar. I mean, you're right. Butch Cassidy, Sundance Kids, another great one. I mean, the train scene alone, I know it is Lawrence of Arabia, but there's a there's a definite feel of Butch and uh, Sundance on that as well. And when they come running out in the last episode together. Yeah. Do you know, the sad thing is, Craig, right? I, I loved that film growing up. And then I did a bit of research on Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. You know, they both died of old age. They didn't die like that. Oh. <laughs> Real disappointing <laughs> that you've got these outlaws. And actually, if you read about them, they're both like in their 80s, probably in some like senile home together with blankets <laughs> on their laps. And wasn't the best line in the whole series when uh, Dean's sitting there and goes, wizard. I mean, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, actually, in terms, you mentioned the Bunter EP, but didn't you think this point day engine on that ship sounded like a quad race as well? Yeah, yeah, when it, when it's definitely when it started. And I think it goes to show that the effects of that on the Mandalorian TV show were phenomenal, but it goes to show how good the effects, the effects were on Phantom Menace 22 years ago. Yeah. The Jawas are obviously, it's been well documented, obviously carrying that metal bar, don't they? Which is a duplicate of what Han Solo's trying to block the walls in in the trash compactor i did um, like pelly's um java talk as well <laughs> oh, about dating one <laughs> yeah. i mean she was speaking java i just thought i just maybe yeah brilliant well lots and lots to uh enjoy in that episode right let's wrap that one up because we've still got two to go so imdb rating 9.3 out of 10 uh ranked second out of the seven on imdb grant uh, 4.70 out of 5, ranked number 1 on the Facebook page, We Are Generation Skywalker. Well, the one that's number 1 beats it on IMDb is only slightly above it. So let's go on to episode 6 then. From the Desert Comes a Stranger, 47 minutes long, debuted on the 2nd of Feb, uh, director Dave Filoni. Uh, Dan, give us a spiel for episode 6. Yes, as alluded to at the start of the last episode, Mando's off to find his little friend. No answers really on how he finds it, but he ends up on a on a little pallet. I don't know its name. Um, R2-D2's there to greet him, and he says he wants to see Grogu. Takes him through the through the forests, and we find some strange androids that are building a, what, what looks like a, a Jedi temple. And then we cut across to see Luke Skywalker 
back with baby Grogu meditating. Um, great baby Grogu as normal is, is looking to eat and is trying to use the force to put a frog up towards him so he can so he can eat it. So I think uh, Luke decides to show him what what um what he can do with the force and lifts all the frogs out of the pond, drops them back in and decides to go for a stroll with with Grogu. Tells him a bit about Yoda, does a bit more force training with him, running through the forest with him on his back, back flipping, climbing up through trees, and then uh, Ahsoka appears um to Mando. Uh, Mando says he wants to see the child. She's telling him all the reasons why he shouldn't and what he's gonna gonna uh, do to to Grogu if he does, and persuades him to leave. But in, when he leaves, he leaves a gift for Baby Yoda. Grogu continues his training. Um, you get to see a false training ball in action. You can see his powers are getting better. Ahsoka and Luke say their goodbyes to each other. Luke then decides to give um, Grogu a choice. He can see how much he's missing Mando. Um, gives him the choice to take Yoda's lightsaber. So we get to see Yoda's lightsaber or the gift that Mando left for baby Yoda, which was a Beskar vest. When we leave Grogu and Luke at that point, cut back to Tatooine. Mando arrives there. He's having a briefing with Boba Fett. And I think Cassandin's there, the Mod Gang, Fennec Shang, and they're coming up with a battle plan. Turns out they need more troops. We get Mando puts his hand up and says that he's got, he thinks he can, he can gather an army. He goes yeah. to Mos Pelio to, to fight, to speak to Cobb Vamp. Talks to Cobb Vamp, his uncertainty about whether he's going to join, his town are going to join the ranks. So Mando leaves uncertain of whether he secured their help or not. And then out of the desert, a silhouette appears and it, and it turns out to be Cad Bane. Tries to have persuade Cobb Vamp not to get involved. Um, and fortunately, I have a shootout and Cobb Vamp is shot as well as his deputy. And the episode ends there. Well, let, let's let's start at the end of this one. I mean, the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, that's what it is. You've got Cobb Vamp as Clint Eastwood, Cad Bane as Lee Van Cleef. What such a famous scene, such a great Western. I mean, the whole the whole thing. Cad Bane as a live action character blew me away. Uh, easily one of my favourite things about the whole show. I've said it before, I'll say it again, that that we need to see him in his own show. I think there's definitely some kind of show there following that character on on some kind of adventure because he is so, it's just amazing. Really evil looking character, really evil looking alien. Every time he opens his mouth, you just stop dead and you've got to listen to what he's saying. You just can't take your eyes off him. He's, he's you know, Clint Eastwood turned up to 11. He's, he's fantastic. Mark, can I, think I ask you, did you watch Clone Wars? Uh, no, but Zach, my son, has, and yeah. he keeps saying that you need to watch the Clone Wars. So we we sort of slowly going through the episodes right now. Right. Okay. And um, it, again, you know, watching it with Zach, somebody who knows far more about the expanded universe than I ever will. Um, he knows about Rebels and Clone Wars and. Uh, he, you know, comics and stuff like that. He, he, he's, he's so gend up on it. And to see his reaction was just amazing. It was, it was great. Brilliant. But you didn't know much about Cad Bane yourself? No, nothing. And this is where you know when they've got a brilliant character because, yeah, people like Zach w- would have absolutely been loving it and, and cheering it. And, but you didn't need to know this person's backstory. You didn't need to know any of the animated TV series to know the way they had shot it. As you said, good, bad, the ugly, you know, on the horizon with, with it all coming in, the music. You, you knew that you were in the presence of another baddie. I, I don't see him in Bad Batch. 
Uh, yeah, right. An episode with him in Bad Batch. So I, I had an, an idea of who he was and what his backstory was. With you know, Zach sort of filled me in in a bit. Um, but to see him live action like that is is another dimension. It, it, it takes it to another dimension. Watch the um, watch the episode Holocron Heist. That's excellent. But I think that character for like for us seeing Boba Fett in Mando a couple of years ago, how exciting that was. That for Clone Wars fans is is massive. And this yeah. is how they're bringing in all the fans. You know, they've had Ahsoka last season. Now they've got, you know, Cad Bane. Who's going to be next? Are we going to see a Hondo or someone like that? Are they going to bring more of these characters in? But that, that's what's drawing in some of these younger fans. Yeah. There was some criticism, wasn't there, with them? Because not everyone's going to be happy. <laughs> what was the criticism with Cad Bane? I think it was the face was in it, or his teeth. Or something yeah, no, his, like his face is supposed to be a bit longer. His face is also a bit darker blue. It, was that CG or was it a mask? I can't decide. I have absolutely no idea, mate. I don't know what's real and what's not in this thing at all. Zero, zero chance. I'm not even sure if there's a combination of both. I don't yeah. know. But you see, the thing is, right, this is what gets me when people are like, oh, no, Soka didn't look like Soka that we know. And we never said that when Clone Wars started and they put Anakin on, you know, and they put Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan looks nothing like Ewan McGregor or, or Sir Alec Guinness, you know, in the Clone Wars. No one was kicking off then, and they they have different stylizations, don't they, on on animation? So things, yes, of course, things are going to be different. Now, Cab Bane, his species is a Duros, right? Green skin, blue skin humanoid, who you first see in A New Hope. You see one of his um, sort of you know fellow species in the cantina yeah. with the same skin tone, with the same color. And there was another one I saw. Oh, they, the hat rim was the wrong size. The hat's too different. <laughs> I mean, crumbs. I, I didn't ever see the costume, which you you see Obi-Wan Kenobi wearing all the time in Clone Wars. I didn't see him wearing those in the prequels. Another excellent part of this episode. I know we haven't even got to Luke Skywalker yet, but to have everyone's favourite child genocide, Order 66, referred to. That was amazing. From Grogu's eyes. Yeah. So he was obviously there. I know. Hopefully they'll expand on that as well. Well, he says, I'm sure one of those troopers, there, there he is, get him. I, I haven't put the subtitles on, but I'm sure they spot Grogu. And as they approach him, then he then he wakes up. Ah. So I think... How far has Luke come on? How far, well, not Luke come on, how far has that technology come on from when we first saw Leia in Rogue One? And it's incredible, isn't it? What they can I... do. Because of this, I think I might be able to get some closure on the Last Jedi. Finally, like aside, I think that's what they're trying to do. I think that's what they're trying to they're trying to do. Because they're okay. definitely building him towards that prequel loop. I don't think. I mean, people talk about are oh, they going to get rid of the sequels and ignore them? I think they're going to try and Dave Filoni's going to try and justify some of it. Yeah. In terms of the technology, I think I, I can't. Is it the you know the face deep morphing yeah. technology, the deep yeah. faking? name there was some guy on YouTube that Lucasfilm employed, who basically took the I think they took the original. Um, Luke that they did for the Mando finale and did it better and they ended up giving him a job so he's the guy that did a lot of this is my understanding yeah he did uh he did everyone better he did talking better Leia Mm. uh, he put Harrison Ford in the solo film it's all fantastic and you I mean it was Luke but how how good is that is Luke is Lucas film to go do you know what there's someone out there who can do it better let's let's bring him in and give him a job yeah well done it's the first time I've watched one of those recreations not through my fingers you know it's like oh here we go i was watching it and after like two minutes i was just watching luke i wasn't even thinking about it 
it's the uncanny valley, isn't it? What they call it, where mm-hmm. it's just your brain's going, something's not right, but there's not much of an uncanny valley there. No, no. There's a few shots, but even then, it's because you know, isn't it? If you didn't know any better and you just watched it, you just you could watch Return of the Jedi and watch that if you'd never seen Eva before and probably not see there's anything off. It's just his haircut, isn't it? Yeah. Was Luke's hair really that bad in the 80s? Yeah, it was. There's just something very heartwarming about the whole thing, about looking at him. It's comforting for us, isn't it? It's almost like that comfort blanket that you just see him and the familiar character of R2-D2 as well. That whole thing, very familiar, new, but then spun in with, oh, he did that with Yoda. Oh, he did that with Yoda. That little flip, that little trick. Oh, that's new. It, it, It was so well I loved it when they were walking along and he was using the force to kind of lift him along. With yeah. Him. Well, that's brilliant. Yeah. So, so what's really nice as well is Mark Hamill was there for that. And he was showing the, the, the guy, the standing guy, the posture, how to move around, how to move his body, how to move his weight around. So I think that really helped as well, because, it, I mean, to me, it felt like Luke Skywalker completely. Was it the same guy that was the stand in, in the Mandalorian? Yeah. He's the X-Wing pilot as well. That's, yeah. Yeah. That's Lloyd Jones. Yeah. That's it. I love that having that. Luke, you know, Mark Hamill obviously feels like he's welcome back and can be invested into it. I thought, even though even the dialogue in that, it was it was very, very Luke, very Luke, very Star Wars, very Yoda in a lot of ways. And seeing you know him trying to pass on what he learned from Yoda to essentially another Yoda, just yeah, it just it just felt great and you know when he's running through the forest flipping and then he climbed the trees and was telling him to open himself up to the force it just felt yeah. just felt right craig is one for you is that the same rucksack as the one he had in empire strikes back <laughs> um it wouldn't surprise me i'll tell you what it isn't everyone online was going oh that's the training ball that luke trained with on the millennium falcon but that's nonsense because Finn finds that on the Millennium Falcon, doesn't yeah. he? In the sequel, and he throws it all, and he throws it away. Exactly, it says, it so, says loads, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So uh, That's the difference. Let's, let's just clear that one up, so it can't be the same thing. I think while it provided lots of nice nostalgic warm and fuzzies for us with Luke and the, and the Yoda references, they didn't waste the opportunity of him and Ahsoka either. Yeah. And the the interactions with that. I mean, I I watched the Clone Wars. I wouldn't say I was a hugely into it i only watched that every episode once but you know that gave me the feels so much like your father all those little moments and those little looks just lovely do you think when we get the ahsoka series she's gonna we're gonna see that initial meeting where she tells luke who she is and her relationship oh yeah and the reaction to that because that's that's kind of you know we always want more that's what i wanted to hear that conversation where she gets to tell luke what Anakin was like before he was Darth Vader, you know, heard things he'd never heard before about him and just to get that knowledge. Yeah. It was interesting bringing in that uh, Jedi morality as well of like, you know, are you doing this for you? Are you doing it for Grogu? I love that. It's like, oh, this is really well written. Like, you know, what's, why is his intentions? Is it the right intentions? You know, and I think that's, that's very sort of Lucas. I just, I want to give him this. Why? So he will remember you. No. As a Mandalorian foundling, he should have this. It's his right. So the the chainmail tunic, Beskar chainmail tunic, is that a nod to Lord of the Rings? Mithril silver. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's quite blatant if it is, isn't it? This seems like an odd uh, choice, you know? It's too on the nose for it not to be. Yeah. 
maybe he's got a quest to go on. Yeah, I'm sure the original idea was to give him a stupid little Mandalorian helmet, but he looks looked daft in it, so they yeah. <laughs> he's sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> Cut two little holes for his ears. I reckon you can make that work, Craig. I do. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> You, you've already mentioned the Untouchables, Grant. This, this was where we saw the scene kind of mirroring the Untouchables, didn't we, with the the bombing in the bar with the little girl in Untouchables, picks up the bloke's suitcase. She yes. runs after him. So you forgot your bomb explodes. Same with this one. The bar droid, you forgot your Camtono. Bar explodes. I mean, they're like for like again. Yeah. I mean, Craig's going to have a field day putting these images <laughs> together of both scenes. I mean, there's so many of them. It's going to be like a full-on documentary, isn't it? <laughs> but you're all going to help me, aren't you, by finding all this material? Absolutely. I'm just going to stitch it together. The good news is Max Rebo wasn't in there. Correct. And they did the establishment shot to show that he wasn't there as well. <laughs> Gutted though, Gasso Whip is gone. I really like that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gutted. Well, you know what? The, the, the Twi'leks in there. All of them, even the male one. They're just, <laughs> it's just craziness. Pretty I mean, hard, no? yeah. Yeah. They are one sexy race. Uh, Has it ever been explained out of Twi'leks a different? So you kind of get your bib for tuners and you get the characters that are in that prison break episode that have all got sharpened teeth and different multicolours. And then you go to somewhere like the sanctuary and they all look really, mm. really pretty. And you've got, you know, you've got the, the mayor's major domo running around. He's, you know, speaking politely. But yeah, there, there seems to be two breeds of Twi'lek. I suppose, Dan, where that comes from, I mean, the ones that look pretty, it's like if you took England, the southern ones would look pretty and the northern <laughs> ones would look like they've had a hard life. That's kind of how it works. Oh, hey, Mark. What are you speak, trying to speak. say? <laughs> <laughs> you just, just because your air's not as clean and stuff like that up there, you know, it's just a harder life. They don't go chiseling their teeth, though, do they? Making them sharp. Oh, oh they, they do sometimes, mate. <laughs> and um, just mentioning, isn't it great to see the um, the old ice cream maker? I mean, there's there's such a following for Wiro Hoods. Uh, you see them at celebrations all running through. And we've now seen it in Mandalorian carrying the Beskar. And we've now seen it carrying Spice in, in Book of Boba Fett. I mean, just another little nod so, to something okay. that's popular. A Camtano, is it? Is that what it's yeah. called? Camto- Camtono. It's spelled C-A-M-T-O-N-O. Right, okay. I'll tell you what shot I really like we haven't mentioned is when um, the Mando is flying from uh, Jabba's palace out to visit Cobb Vanth and he flies over the um, sand crawler with the yeah. crate dragon skull on top. <laughs> Brilliant. That's apparently the crate dragon that was killed in Mandalorian. Makes sense. And if you then, Joe, and they then go to Freetown, decorating the inside of that cantina there is the crate dragon's ribs of the same yeah. dragon. yeah that's amazing i saw that it's so well done because that's really subtle isn't it on top of the um sand crawlers obviously very in your face but i spent hours trying to figure out they got that skull on top of that sand crawler, <laughs> i'm still can't figure it out there you on go that. right okay let's move it on from this this was number one on imdb 9.4 out of 10 so only just slightly better than number five grant Okay, this one, uh, 4.5 on the We Are Generation Skywalker Facebook page. It's number three, just behind number two. Okay. Right, then, let's move on to episode seven, In the Name of Honour. 59 minutes, the longest of the lot. 
debuted on the 9th of February. Director Robert Rodriguez is back for his third of the series. Grant, can you give us a a little overview? Yeah, wizard. So um, R2-G2 is flying Grogu back to Tatooine, to Motto's hangar. Boba Fett and his entourage decide to remain in the sanctuary that got destroyed in the episode before as a symbol to the people of Mos Espa that they were going to try their best to protect them against the onslaught of the Pikes. Uh, they have a run-in initially with Cad Bane. Boba Fett's lot are all dotted around the city. Uh, they get betrayed by the Trandoshans and all of the other crime families' uh, leaders at the same time. And then they are in a street war with the uh, the Pikes. They get the better of the Pikes where the people of Freetown turn up. And then the, the Pikes unleash two Scorpionic droids onto Boba Fett and Din Djarin and the rest of the team. Uh, Boba Fett flies off, picks up the Rancor to destroy the two droids, and then gets into a one-to-one battle with Bane, in which he kills doesn't kill Bane and Grogu's then reunited finally with the Mandalorian and the Mandalorian can see that he's taken the chain mail armor. Fennec Shan has left to find out where the heads of the families are, are, are staying and the head of the, the Pike Syndicate and she takes them all out because she's a master assassin. Uh, everyone is now happy with Boba Fett. Boba Fett's walking around the street handing out fruit like at the end of The Godfather and then the, the season ends with, with Grogu and Din Djarin in the M1 Starfighter heading off to Mandalorian season three. Oh, there's also a cutscene as well where Cobb Vanth is uh, is getting fixed up by one of the mods. So, as a as a finale, what do we think? This this came under a bit of criticism online as well. I yeah. think a lot of people were saying that you've got these two great big Scorpionic Annihilator droids and no one's getting killed by them. They're True. just running away and avoiding everything. And I think that was a bit of a... They were saying some of those peripheral characters, some of the kind of mods that weren't the main characters, they could have quite easily been shot. True. You just want to shoot the mods. You haven't got shot. There was a the guy in one of the scenes when they were like hiding yeah. behind a load of stuff. He got taken out. So not really many though, considering no. how how dangerous those things were. But do you think there's also an element here that you see the finale for episode what uh, for season one Mandalorian? We're like, wow. Finale for season two Mandalorian. Wow. And then you know we we get our hopes up. And I had seen, I had heard so many people go saying ridiculous things. Oh, yeah, Han Solo's going to be in there. We had Luke Skywalker on that one. Oh, I've heard, I know Han Solo's going to be in this. We're going to have that. We were all probably secretly, or not even secretly, we were all probably thinking that the Tuscans were coming back. So because they can do so many things now, I reckon our imagination was getting carried away with us. And we had, we had already sort of got our own finale set up in our own mind. Maybe. I watched it two or three times. I, I really, you know, as a as a kind of action set piece, you know, cinematically, I thought it was brilliant. The special effects were great. You know, yeah. Scorpionic droids, they were pretty flawless. Giant droidicas with a big shield. And then you, you kind of read up on them and you find out that they were Clone Wars concept art that Doug Chan did, you know, 20 odd years ago that's been kind of reinvigorated. Um, you know, you've got a Rancor flying around. I just thought, yeah, brilliant. <laughs> Grogu and and, and uh, Mando getting reunited made my chin tremble a little bit. I thought that was great. Seeing Boba Fett and uh, Mando back-to-back fighting, rocket packs out. I just thought, yeah, it's brilliant. I, Here's I a question it. for you, and I'll throw this in now rather than the end, just because I don't want it all to go flat. Did the Mandalorian, did Din need to be in this episode? He didn't need to be in any of the series, really. No, and and this is where I question it, right? So in, you know, episode 
five six brilliant yeah he has his interactions with grogu he gets his new starfighter brilliant that's all great when you think about what din did in this um he ultimately got some folk from freetown yeah okay the freetowners turned up in the end who's to say that they wouldn't have turned up anyway i don't know so there's that he kind of semi took down one of those uh big droids scorpion droids or, or whatever by ultimately putting his uh, dark saber in it and, and chopping off a leg. But then that was ultimately taken out by Grogu. He laid on his back quite a bit. He got shot at quite a bit. And he tried to unsuccessfully ride the Rancor. Apart from that, what did he do? Did he actually drive the episode forward? Did he help the victory? I don't know. Could you cool. tell? He looked cool. He was yeah. the Grogu could be there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that that's my point. That it, I mean, we all loved seeing Luke. We all loved seeing Grogu, Grogu. But if we hadn't done, we would have seen them in we would have seen them in Mandalorian season three. And by not having the distraction of Luke, not having the distraction of Grogu, maybe the people would have taken to the entire series a little bit better because they're like, oh, we're back to this now. Whereas if you've never got you know absolute cordon bleu steak on a plate, you're not going to miss it. I don't know. I just, I just think, in some respects, that whilst I, I loved it, I'm this is Jez, massive fan of the series, but just looking at it objectively, did he need to be in it? It's the big, it's one of the big criticisms, isn't it? I think you know what, the, what they did with all of this is they took the Boba Fett character and they split him down the middle. So you've got the taciturn, you know, efficient Boba Fett became the Mandalorian, never saw his face, had the swagger. And then the older Boba Fett that we see has more to do with the Daniel Logan Boba. Yeah. You sort yeah. of, you know, he's he's more of a continuation of that character than he is the uh, original trilogy Boba Fett. So I think in in how this has played out, having both of them in that fight was in a way both sides of of Fett. It's interesting, isn't it? Because you think it's the story of Din Djarin where you've got you know the uh, the father figure. Uh, and then he loses the father figure and then he becomes a rogue on his own and then he finds you know compassion or whatever through becoming a father figure to Grogu and that's probably the Boba Fett story but then it got turned into the Mandalorian story so there's a weird dichotomy there of you know are these half ideas from the Josh Trank film that was coming out in you know well it was supposed to be a 2015 Anaheim it was supposed to be there to announce the Boba Fett film so did they take that and then you know, it, it morphed into this. I, I do agree with you, Craig. I think the Boba Fett that we see is the Daniel Logan Boba Fett, not the Empire Strikes Back Boba Fett. No, because if they'd have just played that out again, you'd have had two characters who are virtually the same. Yeah, and, and I think that's, you know, when people are like, you know, I want to see Boba Fett kick ass. I mean, you are. It's it's called Din Djarin, but <laughs> yeah. it, it's kind of limited. I mean, how many times do you want him to go up to someone every episode and say, are you coming in warm, are you coming in cold? I mean, after like doing that several episodes, there's no depth to it. I mean, then you could argue, is Boba Fett a character, if you do want him to be like that, that can carry an entire show? I think um, if if you were to take that Boba Fett in Empire Strikes Back, I think that's what the people that are criticising it wanted. I mean, you yeah. know, in terms of wish fulfilment, that's what I thought yeah. we were going to get some of. I thought there would have been more flashbacks. I thought we might have seen, you know, Boba Fett travelling to Jabba's palace with 
hand in carbonite. Yeah. You know, maybe regretting doing it. You know, I don't, I don't know. It's just, there was all sorts of ways it could have gone. And, you know, you, you play out this in your head, didn't you? You know, we were doing, we've been doing it for, you know, 30 odd years with Boba Fett. He's, he's one of those characters, isn't he? But yeah, I mean, as, as a show, I think where the, I, I think where it fell down a little bit for me was the, was the protagonists. And, you know, they've put, they put the pikes in there. You know, we've seen them in Clone Wars. We've seen them in, in, in Solo a little bit, but it just felt like, there wasn't a big bad until Cad Bane kind of showed up as a bit of a, not an afterthought, but he, he was kind of the face of the Pikes, wasn't he? You know, Boba Fett never actually really faced down against the leader of the Pikes. Cad Bane, Cad Bane was there to do that, but it just felt like there should have been more of a threat that was visible rather than this kind of whodunit scenario. This, the, but this is the problem with all of the Mandoverse. You know, you've got the Dark Troopers, you see a bit of them, they're gone. you got Moff Gideon, you see a bit of him, he's gone. You see Cad Bane. You know, the best thing about Star Wars was like, you know, the, like the Transformers cartoon where it flipped from Autobots to Decepticons. You know, that's the real Star Wars where you get both sides of the story. With this, you just at the very, you know, two episodes before the end, it's like, oh, look, Dark Troopers. Oh, no, they're gone now. Oh, look, Cad Bane. Oh, no, he's gone now. But that's, even with the Mando that's, series, that's, it's almost, it's more like serialized TV from the 80s isn't it it's like a an incredible hulk or a knight rider where he goes from adventure to adventure so you've not got that same protagonist every week it was always someone different there was kind of an overarching bit there but with this boba fett series it was a a through line and it was a continuing story week on week where it wasn't entirely clear and i think that's where people watching it week to week were getting frustrated yeah i think watching it as a whole now it's a little bit different but when you were watching it week to week that's probably where some of those lower scores came from we did feel like they were setting up a much bigger conflict and maybe that's because we know about you know crimson dawn and all the other sort of players in in the gangster underworld but ultimately it was quite a small story it was a small town story and i think some of the shortcomings of that last episode it, it did feel very small it, like it felt like you were on a back lot and i don't know whether mm. it was it was some technical things that i'm not qualified to talk about because I was never a film student but things like blocking and editing and uh, and just the way some of that action played out felt to me like that very over-rehearsed you know when you go to Disney and you see the Indiana Jones adventure and it's super kind of choreographed fighting and it feels like there's no stakes to it it had a it had a bit of that to it which which I think is what a lot of people had a problem with yeah yeah there's a lot of like you know like um people standing in the background whilst there's a giant rank or smashing through the wall in front of them. You know, I think the scope as well, if you look at the season one of the Mandalorian compared to how that evolved in season two, there's a quite a big jump in scope, but it could be the same for book of Boba Fett where we think that we've seen the story, but this is chapter one, then chapter two, more pikes come or the, you know, the huts come back or whatever, uh, uh, Crimson well, Dawn or whatever, you know, and it, it, it gets bigger and bigger. And, because they've based Boba Fett a lot on the Michael Corleone Godfather story, perhaps you might try and go legit and it, you know, it all goes wrong and everyone around him gets killed. You know what? What was one of the big sort of lines which he gave to Fennec Shand when towards the end, after the big battle, he just said, maybe we're not suited for this. Yes. Yeah. Season two could go completely off the rails. You know, and, and their relationship, Phoenix and, and Boba's relationship, it is a very good double act, isn't it? They're not, they're not in sync all the time. She's very much the sort of, you know, subservient. However, she holds her own very much like a sort of 
you know he he's the sort of senior officer but she's like almost the warrant officer where she's feeling empowered to challenge him on so many occasions you know um their relationship is great but yeah i, I agree with you that there were from a people hanging around while there was all sorts of stuff kicking off you know um Pelly just rocking up in that sort of chariot thing with a little green fella <laughs> oblivious to all the noise and destruction around her hey man there everything's great is you know buildings are falling down and everything I enjoyed that though. <laughs> I, I, I read that the episode of the Mandalorian, the one that was called the Jedi, um, when we when we found out Grogu's name, apparently online, the Star Wars fandom just were just whinged and whinged about Grogu's name. So when Peli Motto criticizes Grogu's name, it was meant to be a, a swipe at the fandom. Grogu? Whoa, that's a terrible name. Sorry about that, pal. No way am I calling you that. When when he runs around, it's very it's very um, hand solo. I thought she's kind man. He's like, "Ro, go, go!" And he just, I just, yeah, for some reason, thought hand solo in that moment. I thought it was pretty Star Wars. <laughs> you think that? I mean, it seems to be a bit of an issue since Empire Strikes Back that there's a lack of peril, you know, and peril peril causes tension. And when you've got tension, you're engaged. Like when Boba Fett and Mando are getting shot at, and they're taking hits on the arm and not firing back. I mean, that's quite tense. When Cad Bane is killing. Uh, you know the people of Freetown. That's that's quite tense. But when you've got you know every single shot knocks down a, a a pike or a battle droid or whatever it is in Star Wars, like in Rebels, the stormtroopers just don't do anything. They just they're just cannon fodder. There's no tension there, and if there's no tension, it's not very good storytelling. You're hardly going to be on the edge of your seat. It's just anti heroics, and I think yeah. that's what I found very sort of underwhelming throughout the whole of that last episode was it, it was a very one-sided battle. Um, there was no, like you say, there was no, there was no peril, there was no danger. You got a rancor being hit several times by these huge droids, and yet it was brushing it off. There was no sort of injuries. The, the people hiding behind walls and running away, and people of Freetown turning up to save the day. I, I found that very weak. Yeah. For me, for me, it was probably one of the weakest episodes out of the whole lot, um, even worse than episode three as, as in terms of what I got out of it. I mean, Zach absolutely loved it. He said it was the best Star Wars he'd ever seen. <laughs> so you, you've got this kind of watching it through two different sets of eyes. Um, he absolutely loved it. Um, thought it was great. Loved the Rancor sequences, loved the droids and Cad Bane. I loved the Cad Bane bits. Um, but I, I I just felt like the whole of the series up until that point was was leading up to this last episode. And we were going to get this almighty sort of battle and the fight for Moss Esper as a whole. And I just felt very small. It didn't feel very expansive. Um, you know, I don't know. I just I, I felt very sort of underwhelmed by it. You're this galaxy wide organization the pikes are you going to give up after that little fight with 20 odd people okay. and a couple of mandos you just send a bigger army and you can if you've got that much money riding on drugs essentially you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna go back but you, why not have the you know crimson dawn or someone like that why did it have to be such a i don't know what felt like a yeah just cannon fodder really that that tension would have all they needed to do though was say if it wiped out the mods straight away or the people of free turn turn up and get wiped out straight away. That tension would have been there, which would have made the the scale 
of the battle increase. You know, there's they something at the They threw two Gamorreans off a cliff. Gutted. Absolutely gutted <laughs> about that. Chrysanthemum was, there was a lot of moaning online, wasn't there, that he got shot, 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 then arrived, injured, got shot in the knee. Then the next minute he's running down the street killing people. The next minute he's can't walk again. The next minute he's back up killing people. And the next minute he's got yeah. shot again. He's up half. I think there was a bit of criticism that is he injured or not? <laughs> Meeting his last night. I did read, enjoyed reading about the how parallel the kind of the Pike Syndicate confrontation and the Battle of Endor that it was it kind of throwback to Return of the Jedi where battles can be won by ancient weapons and nature forces over the superior technology. So. The uh, Scorponek droids being taken down by a Rancor, Fett besting Cad Bane with his gaffy stick, kind of showing that actually all this modern technology isn't the best the best stuff. We haven't really spoken about Cad Bane and Fett at the end. Apparently, there's an unfinished sequence for the Clone Wars, which was never never made it to screen. Yep. That showed a standoff between Cad Bane and Boba Fett, and apparently that's where Fett gets the dent in his helmet. Correct. And the line um, in this... When he says, "Oh, when Bane goes to Boba Fett, well, I'm still faster than you," throwing back to that to that standoff between them. So, for people that are a bit more invested, would have probably picked that up. Oh, I didn't. But, Cad, um, Cad, Cad Bane has got the same injury though. He's got that skull cap. That's from Boba Fett in the same duel. They shoot each other in the head. Right. Okay. Yeah. So when his hat falls off and you see the plate, that's on the same unfinished Clone Wars episode. I have to find that for you, Craig. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've watched that. I'm up to speed with this little uh, conversation. Yeah. Isn't that isn't that on? Wasn't that a celebration or something? Yeah. They screened that and someone filmed it. I don't think it was ever officially released. Might be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I've only seen pirated versions of it. Might be. It was definitely a celebration exclusive. And of course, then you've got the rancor with his uh, King Kong moment. Now, here's a question for you. I'm going to go just just briefly. We, we're not talking toys tonight, but. It, do you think now, if Haslab put up the Rancor straight after this episode to be backed, that it probably would have made its uh, target? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Mental, isn't it, that when it was put up compared to, and then you've got all this. I, um, <laughs> I was sitting there, think, I was yeah. sitting there watching that last episode, thinking I'd probably back that Rancor. Right. Yeah. You know, do you know the the day that I think it, it must have been at or around the time the first episode show maybe it was a couple of weeks after and they showed the rancor cage and she drops the uh, assassin dude in there and it's empty and i just thought yeah <laughs> it is empty and then when they bought the new one it's like oh god they should <laughs> they should have done it this week yeah now just uh funny decisions well i'm sure we could carry on talking about this but um we do need to start to start thinking about closing up um imdb rating for this one grant 7.7 out of 10 ranked fourth out of seven um you can't give me the ranking of no, but there was nine votes at four, uh, eight votes at five, three votes at three, two votes at two. Well, boys, let's just have a quick go round here. You're rating out a 10 for it and maybe just a, a brief conclusion for you. So I'm going to go in a certain order here. So, Dan, I am going to give it overall. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10. Um, there's lots that I like. There was some of the structure of it. I'm still not sold on, and it, it didn't finish the strongest. I, I, yeah, overall though, I, I, I enjoyed it. It's not as good as Mandalorian, but yeah, it was worth it was a worthwhile investment of time, and I'll probably watch those episodes again all the way from beginning to end because it definitely gets stronger the more you watch it. Yeah, Mark, I agree with Dan. Seven out of ten. Um, ending let it down. It could have been a 
a good eight or nine, possibly, if the, the ending had been just a bit stronger. It was that last episode that really sort of tailed it off for me, really. Yeah, Jez? Yeah, seven, seven and a half, maybe. Definitely in the seven ballpark. I agree with the other two. Uh, Craig? Yes, I'm going to go seven and a half. My wider context for enjoying any Star Wars story is all of the expanding universe novels I've read in my life. So to get Star Wars of this quality, it's always going to be up there for me. Grump? Uh, 8.5 for me. So some of the finest Star Wars, definitely, that Disney's come out with. And just, I wish they just give the keys to the castle to Favreau and Filoni. Yeah, totally agree. I would have given it 8 out of 10. I think um, there's lots and lots to enjoy here on repeated viewings. Um, I must admit, actually, I'm going to I'm gonna read out a good friend of ours. Uh, Lee Bullock wrote uh, an interesting Facebook post after the last episode. And it's only a couple of lines, but I do think it kind of sums up the book of Boba Fett. Uh, he said, for all its occasional tonal incongruency and uneven pace, I still like The Book of Boba Fett a hell of a lot. And I love the redemption of Boba Fett. Star Wars is nothing if not about redemption. It's not perfect, but it still takes me to the place where Star Wars at its best takes me. Solid 7 out of 10 from me. And I, I think he probably sums it up, you know. There is bits that, that could be called out, but I think overall it done a good job, didn't it? Yeah. I mean, you start off with a blank piece of paper. Yeah. And they've made this from that blank piece of paper. And it's so layered in so many different areas from a cinephile point of view, from a making of a film point of view, essentially from a Star Wars lore and a myth related point of view. I think they've done a hell of a job. I I think, Grant, I'm going to have to disagree with you on one point you've made there in, in in the fact you said they start off with a blank piece of paper. I think exactly opposite. I think they've got a whole raft of paper full of information and full of backstory and things that they have to, boxes they have to tick. Mm. Yeah, interesting. They've still managed to come up with what they've come up with. Mm. Um, So in in, in those terms, we agree on the the end result, but I think the start point is is where I would differ. In, In the same way the prequels, you know, they've already got all this story sorted out. And they've got to make everything fit. And that can be a real pain in the arse. Um, and and with Fett, yeah, okay, so we only had four lines in the whole of the film. He, was only, he only had a tiny bit of screen time. But it's all of this kind of uh, imagination and backstory comics. Uh, yeah. Universe behind that character that they've got to kind of siphon that out and filter the best bits to come up with what we've got on screen. I think they've done a great job. So we agree, but we don't agree. No, no, fair point. I think that's a, that's a, that's actually right. I agree with you on that now, mate. We're, we're living in a world now where we're going to get these series annually. How mad is that? How mad is that? And not even, well, more frequently than that. It's just, just nuts. We've got to that point in our lives. You know, we never thought we'd see it. Mm. We're getting this quality of television, televised Star Wars, not even having to go to the cinema to watch it. We can watch it in our living rooms on a Wednesday morning at eight o'clock with a cup of tea and a bacon sandwich. Star Wars on TV is fantastic. Yeah, yeah it's a shame that we haven't got those the, those movies to look forward to and queue up to. But I mean, it's I mean, this year we've got we've got the Bad Batch season two on May the fourth. Obi Wan Kenobi, Andor. Mandalorian season three. Am I missing anything else? No, May twenty fifth though for Kenobi. That's been announced. Uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, this is an extraordinary amount of Star Wars. <laughs> it's it's amazing. I, I I so cannot wait for Kenobi. There's one thing you know you're talking about Favreau and Filoni. 
you know, Favreau did Lion King reboot, didn't he? And the episode, episode six, when you've got Luke climbs to the top of, uh, top of the tree canopy with Grogu, and he's talking about balance, and he's looking out. It's almost like Mufasa's with Simba looking over Savannah, and he's like, all this is mine, you know, all this is yours, and they're just having a bit of a philosophical chat. To me, that was Favreau's point on the Star Wars universe, balance and everything else. You say about, you know, being in good hands. It totally is. Look, the wide world exists in balance. Feel the force all around you. force you will find balance as well right well on that i am going to uh, start to wrap it so come and join the conversation tell us what you thought about the series uh, come over to we are generation skywalker on facebook and of course generation skywalker where we send out our updates for shows and things when being released uh, check out twitter and instagram just search for generation skywalker go over to youtube i've got a feeling this is going to be a banging a banging enhanced here on this one again just search for generation skywalker hit that subscribe button don't miss any of our videos but this is one to watch with a video i think you can email us generation skywalker at gmail.com and of course you can head over to the website generation skywalker.com where you'll find links to everything we do and uh, also some blog posts over there uh, boys great to be recording great to uh, jump into that but it is for the show. Goodbye from Dan. Goodbye. Goodbye from Craig. Cheerio. Goodbye from Mark. So long. Goodbye from Jez. See you next time. Goodbye from Grant. Wizard. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that's why I left you to laugh. <laughs> and it is uh, good night from me. We're Generation Skywalker. <laughs>